Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. All right, what's up, Gypsy Gang? We're back with another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast. Uh, Before we get into uh, today's epic guest, I just got to give a quick shout out to our sponsors as always. Uh, Firstly, I would just like to say a uh, big thanks and a big shout out to the team at Boost Mobile. Uh, As always, you can head to boost.com.au and suss out their epic uh, prepaid data packages. Uh, I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Uh, It's not just me that thinks they're the best in Australia. Uh, They've actually been voted voted the best prepaid uh, provider in Australia. you can now also do these six or 12 month plans. Uh, you can get up to 240 gig uh, on their 12 month plan. So uh, they've got some insane options um, when it comes to prepaid. So you don't just have to do month to month. Um, they've got some awesome data rollover features. Um, they're on the Telstra full 4G network. You can bring your own number across as well. Um, no locking contracts. And like I said, it's just that super fast, super reliable Telstra 4G. Um, so yeah, massive fan uh, of that. And it's definitely become uh, not just a sponsor, but a resource for us here on the podcast. Uh, secondly, would like to give a massive shout out to the guys at Nobby Underwear. Um, super jealous of their crew just over in Vegas uh, doing the damn thing. Uh, they were hanging out with uh, one of their main team riders, Chad Reed, uh, in Vegas for the weekend. Um, but yeah, just all, always super thankful, super appreciative of uh, what those guys do for the podcast, not just um, with their financial support, um, but just their support in general. Um, they've become a, a real integral part of, of this podcast and, and what we do. Uh, if you want to be like the I would say now hundreds of others that have joined the Nobby Nation through Gypsy Tales. Um, you can head to nobbyunderwear.com.au, $20 a month, gets you a fresh pair of undies. Um, and I've been absolutely frothing lately. Like the new, the last three months have just been insane. Uh, every single month, I it like, because uh, you don't know the designs, they're just, it's like secret until you open it. Um, and the last few months, I'm like, damn, this is my favorite. And then the next one comes out, this is my favorite. And I think since December, I've been saying that. Um, so yeah, that those boys are killing it as usual, boys and girls. Uh, and also, would just like to give a, a big shout out to the guys at Rival Inc. Um, we're about to start working on our uh, 
our Gypsy Tales motocross weapon for Day in the Dirt, uh, and those boys will be taking care of all of my graphics needs. Um, they take care of a ton of crew that we're involved with. They do all Sammy stuff with his bikes. Uh, they're about to do all Jats's new stuff for the Supercross season. Um, these guys are true, true, true innovators when it comes to the motocross graphics world. Um, they've also just released a ton of new merch as well, which is super sick. I'm going to be running some of that in our upcoming motocross companion. Uh, we did Supercross companion. Um, but motocross companion is coming up next i'm pretty excited for the outdoor season uh, and the guys from rival inc will be a part of that you can head to rival inc design co pump in the promo code uh, gypsy gang and you'll get 15 percent off um, thank you to everybody that bought merch we still have some of those new camp vibes tees available uh, as color blanks printed by the legends at omen printing um so yeah, head to, uh, sorry, sorry, got sidetracked there, Rival Link Design Co. Um, and yeah, you can use that code to save 15%. Um, so yeah, thanks so much to those guys. Uh, my guest today is a guy by the name of Brent Simpson. Uh, he has had a very, very, very interesting life. Grew up on the streets of Western Sydney. Um, has been kind of in and out of jail for most of his most of his life, um, he just lived a street life. Uh, that that was sort of the life that he was forced into. Uh, he was a victim of sexual abuse as a child, uh, and has had some issues with uh, mental health. He's been diagnosed with bipolar. Um, there's been some stuff with suicide uh, in his life that he's gone through. Uh, then he did a, a kind of a long stint in jail, uh, came out of prison, um, and has dedicated his life since that last in prison to uh, spreading mental health awareness. He's, he rode, he cycled from Coolangatta to Perth uh, from one ocean to the other. Uh, this is the first guy ever to do that in under 50 days, I believe. Um, but the positivity that he exudes is infectious. Uh, he is a very genuine guy. He is a very, very nice guy. And uh, it was a pleasure to sit down with him for three hours and, and hear his story uh, and hear his positivity, hear his outlook and some of the ways that he looks at things. Um, he was a uh, uh, an ex-bikey. He lived that life for a while. But uh, it's interesting, like he doesn't glorify any of that. He's not on the podcast to so, like big note and tell stories about how fucking tough he used to be. Um, he is just such a down, down-to-earth genuine human uh and i'm a better guy for being around him for three hours and i hope that everybody uh enjoys this podcast as much as i did uh i'd love to get him on at some point because there's just so much there uh in in his story um so yeah great guest and i really appreciate his time and i hope you guys enjoy uh listening to this podcast thank you very much guys appreciate it give a clap righto brent simpson thank you very much for joining us on the gypsy tales podcast today um very excited to have you here and i'm stoked to just see the froth level that you have to be <laughs> here as well made some posts this morning on instagram that i was quite appreciative of yeah thanks jace i appreciate being here and, and um super excited to uh, be a part of a, a wonderful podcast that's had so many influential people uh, amazing athletes and uh one in particular gangster too <laughs> yeah that's um we were just talking like as you come into the room that um you went to jail and abbo was there and used to hold pads for you so yeah, you've yeah. got connections to more people on gypsy tales than i probably do oh it's funny you say that yeah i was having a look yesterday and i um 
had a real sort of uh, think about who might be on here that I've met and know or that I'm sort of buddies with. And yeah, yeah, there happened to be a, a couple of um, good crew there that definitely know of and uh, been around for a fair bit. Yeah, so give um, like a quick, I guess a quick spiel, quick rundown of uh, who you are in, in a nutshell, I guess. Um, and then, yeah, we can just sort of dive in from there. Yeah, sweet right. So basically I'm a 43-year-old father of four. Uh, grew up on the streets of good old Sydney, uh, originally from the western suburbs, um, predominantly within a uh, Aboriginal community or a mission as they called it back then I grew up in. Um, come from a pretty full-on background, but I guess these days there's a lot of people coming out that are talking about you know their past, so it makes things... Uh, you know, normal, I guess, for, for me to say this, but, you know, growing up sexually abused, physically abused, broken home, uh, <laughs> crime, gangs, drugs, and uh, up to basically starting a national charity that um, helps people living with mental health issues and uh, suicide uh, survivors. It's so crazy. Like, so I got turned on to you by one of our listeners. Turned who, on. To, I, got, I got turned on by you just when you walked <laughs> in the room. Um, but I got turned on to you by uh, one of our listeners and I, I hadn't really heard of you before that. And then I started following you on Instagram, shot you a message and we made this happen. Yeah. But man, since since I started following you on Instagram, there's just like such an overwhelming amount of positivity that you seem to want to put out into the world uh and for a guy that has been through so much negativity in your life it is crazy to see that you know such an extreme change of the life that you'd come from to not just because i'm sure there's negativity that enters your mind on on a daily basis 100 percent. but it's like what you've chosen to focus on and put into the world i think is it's a it's a beautiful thing and and even just you know your presence walking in the room and and off camera conversation yeah. like you've got so much zest for life so much energy and, and there is just so much positivity that comes that comes out of you yeah it's um look it, let's let's not piss in the woods you know like um fuck life's tough um i've gotten to a point in my life where i'm i'm okay with me you know um the years have gone of trying to be somebody or impress somebody or be accepted by a crew um these days it's just fuck here i am and this is who i am and um you know the big burly guy covered in tats has got a big heart and actually gives a fuck um and i i really for my own i guess well-being and mental health um living with a type 2 bipolar is is not easy I chose nearly five years ago to move away from um, taking the pharmaceuticals yeah. that were prescribed to me for so many years. It, um, you know, had to change as far as I was concerned and I made positive choices to enable that to happen. Um, and a lot of it came down to, you know, being active. Yeah. Um, with that comes, you know, your positive endorphin release, feeling good about yourself, then, uh, you know, putting out what you portray in, in a positive way yeah for sure wait do you want to i got another chair here that won't squeak are you down to sit on one of those bad Fuck boys yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here we go cut it's like a mac truck just fucking yeah. in the trail of its shot nah, legend fall on a budget <laughs> that's where it all begins but hey probably won't be as comfy but Ooh. It's nice. Come forward a touch, maybe. 
if you can. Oh, fucking fucking yeah, camera. Yeah, right. Sorry, mate. I'm fucking you around. Don't be sorry. It's all good. Um. You right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um. It's interesting you say that about going off the pharmaceuticals. It really seems like. Um. Oh, here. Let me. Oh yeah, for fuck's sake. You Rub- do it. Rubik's cube, bro. <laughs> Audio complicated. Yeah, audio. Fuck. Um, nice. It seems like more and more people are going off the SSRI type yep. uh, antidepressants, and then I'm not sure what the uh, bipolar medication is, but it seems like there's so much more research out there nowadays about, I guess, the ineffectiveness of those medications. Look, I've always said it, and I'll continue to say it. It, it took a lot of time for me to be able to find a balance. Um, had I not... Oh, let me let me take that back. I was used for many years as basically a guinea pig. Um, nobody knew what bipolar was um, back in the day. Predominantly, it was just you're just depressed. Yeah. Um, and there was so much more, you know. So they didn't specifically have any pharmaceuticals that were classed as a bipolar medication. Uh, medication. Yeah. Then they started to play around and things started to go from real bad to real good to bad again to not so bad. Uh, I found a balance within two particular medications that I really sort of stuck with for about three and a half years, four years. Then I realized that, you know, this could be managed without the medication. So I do believe that they did help. Mm. I do believe that if you need them, take them. But um, there, there is also, I believe, better ways. So what, um, obviously that bipolar is, a, uh, I feel like with depression, say if you're someone that's never suffered from depression, I feel like in a way you could kind of relate to depression because everyone's been sad or had periods of time where they've felt like, you know, like you said, life's fucking hard. I yeah. think everybody has those times where it feels like they have been sort of beaten down and you could you could see what depression is but i don't think that's the case with bipolar now nah, look can it, you describe yeah. it for for us it, it's one of them things jace that you try to um put in perspective but um may not make a lot of sense to a lot of people yeah because there is two types um for me i'm type 2 bipolar which basically everything i do is to a fucking extreme yeah like whether it be good or bad it's just you know up here rather than a ham you know a a mediocre sort of thing so um for me that's a hard thing but a manageable thing these days to live with because on the other side of poison in a way well for me like with kickboxing or yeah like with my tire with the cycling i mean they're the things that created a positive for me in my life um both mentally and physically to be able to go forward and not have to be dependent but on the other hand of it there is um, the other side of bipolar, which is very low lows. Um, the lows, you know, can be so dark that you just don't see an out, which, um, you know, can end in suicide for a lot of people. Um, you know, I don't like to use the language suffer. Uh, we live with, you know. Um, you don't suffer with asthma, you live with asthma. Yeah. You know, so it's also important that we sort of start looking at um, lived experience, I think, as well within the mental health space, taking on people's lived experiences as opposed to a fucking textbook. Yeah, it's so valuable. I had the um, the honor of speaking in front of five hundred clinicians in uh, two thousand sixteen, no two thousand seventeen, 
in Brisbane, National Suicide for Pre- Prevention Concert, National Suicide Prevention Conference. Yeah. Um, and it was about the importance of lived experience. And here you are in a room with 500 fucking clinicians looking up. You're like, who the fuck's this idiot? Yeah. And it was very intimidating. But the moment you started to actually talk the truth about what you live with, their heads were starting to sort of go, wow, okay, here it is. Yeah. Some people, you know, obviously had experienced the hands-on with it and many others in that room. You know, come on. You can't tell me that they, they could sit there and tell me what it was that I had or was going through, you know. So and it's it was hard, like, for them. even um, when you get when you get friends that are going through stuff or, like, depression, like, I've got one friend, I've mentioned him a couple of times and he haven't mentioned his name, but he had a really bad breakup and then he really got very low after that and it was the first time in his life that I think he'd face, like, an adversity like that. Yeah. He's a super talented, super good-looking. Like, he just... Everything... He was such a positive dude, so I think it hit him super hard. And I, I you could see people that um, would, like, get sick of him talking about it, where he needed people to listen. And, and I, I, I could all, almost imagine that it would be like that for a doctor, in a way, to where it's like you know you've, you're seeing these people all the time it'd be it'd be hard to really put yourself in their shoes well the whole you know thing I mean? with like, the doctors is you know like and, and anybody uh, working within that space um don't become personally attached is, is yeah the way but to me but it's almost not, like you have to that's to, what i was about to, to say really figure out how what's can you going not on? be yeah. attached to somebody's yeah. story or moment in their life and actually give them a genuine response or show genuine compassion and learn from their to learn from somebody's experience you've got to really dive into it absolutely and you know speaking is a major thing um for so many years it was sort of shut your fucking mouth don't talk you know and it is you know weak to speak um well it's not yeah you know you find today uh, as much as we're still being confronted with some absolutely um you know heartfelt stories of losing loved ones and friends to suicide that many people are still taking that next step of putting their hand up, yeah, reaching out. You know, it, it's becoming a topic now where people are happy to have this conversation right mm. now and not be ashamed, you know. Like, it's okay. Um, I'm fine with it, you know. Like, my story's been publicly out there for years. But at 43, it took me to 30 before I was willing to talk about it. Mm. You know, 30 years, I wouldn't say wasted, but probably could have done a lot more with but it's that learned experience though for sure and you know i wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today had i not walked that path so yeah um so back to the the bipolar thing like are you are you having swings like on a daily basis where like in the morning you're super happy and then by the afternoon you're like that super low or is it the kind of thing where it's sort of it comes in like waves of different uh like extended periods of time like you can go a week feeling really great and then you can spend another week just being super low like how does that sort of happen or is it different for everybody my wife will tell you i'm fucking up and down like a yo-yo all the time but um, i'm only joking she's been solid with me for 16 years and you know like we talk quite openly her and i about this so you know there are times there where for example i've just had a really intense probably 18 months of my life um which i'm sure we'll touch on but there was uh, a quite a high profile case that now is finalised that um, was looking at sending me back to jail for another three years. Which, oh, really? Yeah, that had really nothing to do with me. There was no physical evidence, nothing. So here I was coming off a massive high 
you know, for some time and achieving great things and helping so many other people to instantly being hit, you know, with fresh charges and like pulled back down oh, into fuck, the world that mate, you've tried to absolutely let go of. hammered, you know, like and they they just went no, nah, he's been done for importation before. He's got to be linked to these guys because of this and that. Mm. It panned out in the end that that's not what ended up happening, which was great, and I'm here now. But the lows that come off the back of that and how it affected me mentally was fucking gnarly. You know, I um I went to work FIFO, so I'm flying in, flying out. You know, I'm working three to five week swings. Whereabouts are you working? Mate, I was up in North Queensland, so I was building solar farms. Yeah, whereabouts? Um, Collinsville. Yeah. Childers. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a good experience, but I was dealing with being away from the home life, those that I love. Yeah, that stuff's tough. Passionate sure. about what I was doing because I was providing for my family. But heavily sort of just, fuck, I could be in jail doing years again for something that fucking, you know. Yeah, it's just weighing on your conscience. Yeah, it was. So, you know, speaking of highs and lows, that dragged me to an all-time low again. Really? Um, but coming off the back of that now, nearly a month since that was all finalised, uh, life's good. You know, I'm able to sort of feel good about what I'm doing. Find that positivity that you're talking about, you know, and, and really try and, I guess, let people know from my experience that, there can be a better day you know what i mean what goes down does come up just gotta fucking hang on <laughs> yeah uh, and i imagine with that situation that you've obviously worked so hard once you've come out of prison and then given up the that life of crime that sort of put you oh. in that place in the first place and then to do the cycle across australia and to just have all of this positive sort of energy going and then it's i I could imagine being in that position that it'd be like, fuck, I do all this. And then yep. that life still is dragging at me. It's like, what would it take to just cut that tie, you know? The biggest thing I think for that too, Jace, was the fact that, you know, I had put my heart and soul into something um, that I was wanting to build to help change lives and keep people living. Um, that was starting a national charity. So to do that, I had to give so much of me and, and build mm. so much content and, be 100% fucking present, legit, you know, like... And genuine. 100%, you know, like, it's so easy. And it was that way, you know, when I first got out of jail and I was like, right, I'm putting it out there. I'm going to be the first in the world to cycle across Australia from Snapper Rocks to Cottesloe Beach, Perth in under 50 days. The backlash that I got from that was, oh, fuck, what's he up to? Who's he rotting? You yeah, know, like, yeah. It was gnarly and I'm like, this is, this is heavy. But I had to just sort of deal with that and sort of process it and think, don't react don't retaliate just show them when you do it yeah and yeah well that's fucking the history fucking is out there, yeah <laughs> yeah that that was and and to be honest for me like when i was looking into your story i was just that was like an instant legitimate yeah. thing i was like well fuck like that's that is no you can't fake that no. you can't fake cycling across no, Australia and, and the thing was days. too you know like um getting back to just just that question before you know in reference to how I was affected. I, I like with everything that went on, I had to basically step away from something that I put so much into and love because I felt that whilst I was on bail for, you know, drug charges, serious drug charges again, I couldn't represent something that, you know, was oh, how can I put it? Not against because fuck mental health revolves around it, but it just wasn't right in my eyes. You know, so I chose to step down and not step away from what I love doing, but just to step down from my role. The official title of it. Yeah, and um, it's sort of, you know, I, I had met with 
other persons that were supposed to continue on and take that to a new level and basically yeah it's still not happened and you know, i feel a little bit fucking kicked in the ass but hey that's that's people and that's life do you think that you can get back into it now that the, the i'm chart? doing it now yeah you know, okay. like oh, straight off the back so i do a lot of voluntary work with um the rise program yeah i saw that love it you know yeah. young men 14 to 15 year old with real struggles real battles you know the fuck mate just breaks your heart but i was one of those kids yeah you know but i didn't have a mentor i didn't have somebody there to talk to that understood um for me it was just you know build up and just a lot of anger and hate to the world and these young men um you know i won't go into too much because obviously you know i like to respect their privacy but you're talking about young men with so much anger and hatred and and next minute you know within that period of time we're all hugging each other with tears in our eyes like it becomes so so emotionally you know charged yeah no one's ever given a fuck about these young men you know you're talking about young men with um mothers that are prostitutes and ice addicts they've got different men coming into their house you know abusing them you know they're looking after a five-year-old brother while their mother's getting fucking pumped like heartbreaking you know and you ask these kids what do you do i just stay in my room and play xbox like that's fucked but these men turn up for this 12-week program day in day out reaching out for help and that to me is is massive you know and what a better way to try and change your life than putting your hand up and saying hey i need a hand you know i yeah. need help so it's it's really good i'm i love being a part of it and now that um i've been able to move on from you know this how can i put it matter yeah <laughs> um I, I i you know i really want to get involved with a lot of um the juvenile side of um you know criminal criminality um juvenile detention i'd like to really sort of start working around that space so what what do you do with that rise program like it how do you be um and, and can anyone get involved in that or how does it work um well look i've been doing it now for nearly three years so originally it was a part of project booyah which come under the queensland police service they were volunteers that were um assisting young troubled men um it stepped aside from the queensland police and become government funded uh, that was then into the RISE program, which two gentlemen um, do a massive job doing that, Chris and Gary. And, um, mate, they've allowed me to, you know, be a part of their program, their young men's sort of um, uh, stages of, of, I guess, um, bettering themselves yeah. through my lived experience. So, you know, we get in there and we sort of touch base and, and you know, they, they watch my... There's a little short doco on my life and um, they'll watch that the day before and they watch, you know, a couple of news clippings, good and bad. Yeah. Um, so they've got an idea of who's walking in the room, you know, sort of walk in and they're like, oh, yeah, far out. Okay, cool. And I'd say, you know, I just meet and greet, just, you know, how you going, how you going, you going to get on their level, you know, break the ice with them. Um, I think they're going to get fuck. This guy's an old bloke, but he's talking to us the way we talk, you yeah, know, like yeah. slapping fives, you know, yeah, fuck this, that, and all. So it automatically you build that rapport with them. Yeah. Then we sit down and we just talk about a little bit about it myself. And I sort of like to sit down and just connect with each one of them, you know, I'm big on body language. So being able to see their eyes and, you know, just the way they react to certain things I say, you can generally pick up, you know, who's, who's, who's really, really in. Yeah, yeah, who's holding a lot in and you know what might be affecting that young man and i tend to pay a lot of attention and you know 
if I can be sort of subtle in some ways and, and sort of harsher in others to try and just impact it and, and hit, you know, with a bit of a shock treatment and say, bang, you know, this is where you're going. This is the life that you're living. You don't have to live that life. You know, there is help. We can do things to, to better your situation. Yeah. And um, it's been a good success. Really, really good success. Um, I had a message come back to me from Gary, one of the program um, managers the other day, and it was from one of the boys' mums. And it was one of the young men that, you know, really, really was struggling. And it was um, it was quite humbling to hear how he went home and, and just opened up to his mum. And, and I, it sort of just changed the dimension of the, the home life from just a chat. Um, and yeah, it was, it was quite, quite humbling. It, it's crazy that um, just how much proper communication and conversation can actually impact your life when you are in a situation like that you know like to and i think that's been one of the things that i've really learned just doing this podcast is like how close that you can get to people and how genuine a connection you can form just by having a very open and and honest conversation with someone and i can imagine that i mean because you know like even i I look back now at, at my life with my parents and stuff and like I never really communicated properly. I wouldn't communicate to people because I was a pretty young sort of angry dude as well Yeah. with, you know, some of the stuff that, that I went through. And, and yeah, there really isn't, you know, you don't get those third-party guys that you look up to or that you can look up to that it's like, oh, he gets it. He's been through. Oh, because I, I remember as a kid that I only ever really had like disciplinary people that would mm. come down on you and that they would talk down on you to you know in terms of like uh you look at schooling and yeah. stuff like that yep. but it's like you know the the value of someone coming down on your level giving you that lived experience and then sort of promoting you to communicate properly it's a super powerful thing it really is and i mean look and you'd think that with kids that have all of those fucking problems that a conversation wouldn't fix anything but it's 100%. so powerful. And, and, you know, like I said, like there's a couple of years ago, I remember we turned up and there's the young guys and here's the alpha young dude just walking around, got the fucking rolly in the mouth, you know. Like, yeah, fuck, bad count. Can't fuck you, this, yeah. that. And like, I'm just thinking, here we go. You know, he's walking up and he's throwing his air kicks and his punches and he's, I'm thinking, oh. And he comes up, you know, looks me up and down. And, oh, I thought, oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, you know, instantly, I'm like, there's my right. fucking target. I'm going to break this young man and I'm going to show him that, you know, like, he ain't the alpha and everybody here is just equal, you know? Yeah. And all this is a facade, you know, it's just a mask. And we did that, you know, and he turned out to be just an, a, a lovely young boy that just had this this mask as, you know, like, oh, fuck, I wore it for many years. Um, And just, yeah, I don't think he realised how much benefit he could get out of just being honest and open. Yeah. Um, you know, like I don't, I, I refuse to go in there telling stories that aren't mine. I refuse to talk about certain things that aren't necessary. You know, like there's a lot in my life that I've experienced that, you know, they probably don't need to know. It's not glorified. It's not, yeah. it's not cool. But it is what it is and was what it was. Um, and that's my life, you know. So I try to sort of just pull it apart a bit enough to be able to hit them with an impact sort of um, that's a positive and then, you know, break down that barrier yeah man it, it's um it's interesting to hear you say that because look in all fucking honesty the coolest shit i've done in my life is hyper illegal 
oh, you know what I mean? Best. Like it's the most, <laughs> like all the fucking, not all of it, but so much of like the epic shit I've done. You can't fucking do that stuff. It, it, it's so true. And I was only saying to someone the other day, you know, like at 43, I just look back and I go, fuck, you know what? As tough as life was, geez, I did some cool got shit. Got away with some fucking shit. Fucking got away with plenty. Yeah. You know, um, but it's hard because like, you know, you, <laughs> You know, even even from, like I mean, I talk about a fair bit of shit on here, but it's like you, you can't really talk nah. about it. No, nah, I'll go to the grave with a lot of shit. Don't worry yeah. about that. You and know, you like can't, that. you don't want to be known as like glorifying it nah, in a way either. But like, fuck, it was the fun. There's it, some fun it shit. It was, in there, and right? you just couldn't get away with the shit that we did back then today. Yeah, you know, even through you know, like I guess growing up, you know, the things that I was doing. Um, fuck, man, I. Without sort of sounding like a wanker, I mean, we were we were the original sort of crew of the Sydney City that were jumping in WRXs and Porsches that, you know, used to be all over the news and the people in Picture Magazine at 210, 220 k's going across a Harbour Bridge in a 911 or a 928S, you know, like fucking just whop after we just ram raided the duty free or... And was that a stolen car or oh, your 100%, car? 100%. Yeah. No, fucking my car. <laughs> I only had enough to pair, buy a pair of joggers and even that wasn't fucking my money, but... Um, That's fucking funny. Mate, we were like 15, 16, you know, and we were just ruthless. Um, I look back now and I think it's moulded me to be who I am today. Yeah, I, for I, sure. I definitely wouldn't suggest it to anybody to fucking try today. Yeah. Um, yeah. You wouldn't get away with it. It's just not the way to go. Full stop. But I mean, look, that—that's my life. That's my history. And you know, like I'm—I'm I'm not um, in any way ashamed of it. Um, I don't—I don't look at life as saying, you know, I regret this and I regret that because, as I said a minute ago, and I'll, I'll probably say it another ten times, I'm sitting here because right of now everything, because yeah. of because of you know what path I have walked. Yeah. So it's. Um, it's molded me to be the man I am and to be able to help others through my lived experience, which I love doing. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's a, there is a point where it's like, you know, say if I walked into that rise, you know, and started trying to talk to them kids, it's like I haven't had the kind of shit go down that they've had go down. And it's it, it takes as much as it's like, you know, no one should be a criminal and you don't want to yeah. do this and that, but it's like, fuck like how does a guy like like me i don't have any of those experiences how am i going to relate to these kids like you do need that i think there is a a very positive thing to come from a guy that has made it out the other side and can talk to them because there there is a way now that you can influence them through those experiences that you've had and it's like some fucking geek like me rolls up it's like it's just not the same thing they need to they need to know and they, they also need to know that there is a way out and you can be as deep in that world as you were and make it out and have a positive impact and do something with your life. Because, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was a point in your life where you just felt fucking worthless and that was all you'd ever amount to. 100%. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I was going to die before I was 21. Um, ask anyone that knew me. My whole world was just, I'll do whatever I can did you, know, you just, the did you just live like you were going to die? Fucking oath. Like, my world, I, I had, you know, reality was I didn't give a fuck. And it got to that point where I'd, I'd sort of become so numb to caring that, you know, it, it didn't matter. You know, if I was going to get locked up for it, well, I was going to get locked up for it. You know what I mean? That's just the consequences if I got caught. Um, and you were know. pretty comfy with that? Back then, I did, yeah, it was just, oh, I'll catch up with the boys. I knew everybody that was coming and going and, you know, I had no fucking skeletons in my closet. I mean, that's one thing I've got to say 
as much as I'm open about me, you know, I still live by old school morals. You know, um, fuck, I've never written a statement. I sort of refuse to write a statement. Um, you know, I don't speak out of school in reference to anybody else's business. Um, and to me, that's how I would expect it to stay across the board. You know, like, I don't believe in these people that sort of go and give each other up, you know what I mean, to get a better sentence or go and fucking tell on your mate because you're jealous or it happens now so often. Dude, even like, do you follow like the whole like rap and stuff these days? Like, mate, I, I have. I look. I, I'm a big. I was a big deal. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I find it funny because you know I, I loved growing up with that sort. I remember having the fucking little wire on my head, but little foam headphones and the cassette tape, you know, and you just sit there going, "Fucking stop, rewind, stop, rewind, yeah, play," yeah. and it was like NWA, and you know, like fucking. That was the sort of core of, you know, I'm a fucking sick cunt. You know, I'm out yeah, 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 yeah. You know, age cruising around, just fucking, yeah. That's so fucking um, funny. And then your battery get flat. <laughs> and then you just back by yourself going, Because <laughs> double A batteries were so expensive back then, you know? That's classic. Well, yeah, it's like, it's funny that whole, like, the whole snitching thing's coming, like, way back into the public. It's a fucking like, joke. And look, I'll tell you straight, mate, it is absolutely putrid. Everyone wants to be a gangster. But no one wants to deal with the fucking time to fucking be gangster, you know, they all shit the gear. Um, Because some people just like, it's the people that aren't about that life. Like there are people that they will not make it in prison. And there are people, if I I mean, fuck, looking from the outside. It's like if you're a real G, then you'll go to prison and you'll still be a G. But it's like the dudes that are faking it on the outside are the ones that are going to get exposed on the inside. Oh, look, you can't hide from it. But I won't bullshit either, you know, like anybody can be got... You know, the bottom line is every fucker is vulnerable. Mm. Doesn't matter who you are. And you can be the hardest and toughest man in the, in the strictest. Like, for example, you know, like there was just two um, two fellows, and I won't go into saying their names because I don't want to sort of get into that side of it. Two blokes in Goulburn Supermax just recently that managed to get in the same yard of each other. Two extremely high-profile men that, you know, are notorious in the system. One that's been at the top of the game for fucking ever. Mm. Boom Was on mate Hardcore on um, You know And that's the reality of it It doesn't matter where you are Who you are If you're going to get got You're going to get got So I mean You know You don't want to just shut your mouth Mind your business Stay out of the politics and Be humble And sit the fuck down mm. You know Do your time and come home Is it um, Is it hard for people to stay out of the politics of it because there is, is especially when you've been involved, you know, like with with gangs or clubs or you sort of automatically a part of it, whether you want to be or not. Yeah, you know, um, or if we were there and you know, I'm I'm hanging with you, you're my fucking buddy, you know, like we're tight, we're training together and shit, you know, we look out for each other. Instantly, you fuck up and it brings brings me into it, you know, like yeah, it is. It becomes a little bit um, a bit of a fuck situation. Yeah. Yeah, well, even, dude, like, that. what made me think about it, like, I've been in a jiu-jitsu um, gym for a year, and it's like, they're just my fucking boys now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. we had, like, we went to a big competition, and um, one of the guys, he's one of our black belts now, he got put to sleep, but the guy was still ripping a submission on his arm, and uh, the referee couldn't see that he was asleep. So anyway, we're all yelling. And then I just fucking, I was like, get the fuck off him. Cunt. I jumped the fence. These guns are fucking brown belts. <laughs> and you just and come all gangster. Yeah, and then I just start thinking, I'm a G. Fuck shit up. But like, and I'm like trying to jump the fence. And I'm like, fuck, get off your cunt. And, um, but it was like, 
just one of those like I'm not trying to I wasn't in that moment thinking nah. of like this is my chance I'm gonna make a name for you myself just or back your buddy. I was just like fucking tripping because yeah. that's one of my best friends now yeah. you know I fucking bleed with that dude every day 100% and like so I mean it's funny like and even when we were talking to Abbo you know it's just like any club or any team or any group if you're fucking legit and you're tight and you're going through shit together then it's almost like that feeling is unavoidable or that uh instinct that you have to protect those people because i had an instant instinct to fucking jump that fence i wasn't gonna try and hit the other guy hurt the other guy but i wanted to just protect my friend like i look i I relate to that so much you know especially with growing up in club life um you know growing up on the streets you sort of you you, your buddy's all you got Mm. you know but then following into wearing a set of colors for so many years you know like um we went through some pretty serious wars between clubs one in particular you know where there was members shot um both sides you know um they're not here anymore um the bottom line and was they're like your brothers they were your brothers you know and like so at that stage it was like well fuck retaliation's a must you know um yeah it's 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 that fine line you know like i look today if i was out my my bro and my fucking buddy you know something happened i mean i would instantly reality retaliate instinct to defend you know yeah would i go out hunting and carrying on and want to be fucking you know all up in someone's face fuck no yeah i couldn't give a fuck i really couldn't but um you know i I dead set push come to shove i would 100 percent run the ball up well and truly yeah and, and i think that it it is it just does like i said just become an instinct like i honestly didn't even remember it happened until we so we were videoing the the matches and um we watched we went back to our house and then and my buddy goes oh i want to see the fight because he was winning by like a lot and i think he just slipped made a mistake and got sort of caught in something so we were watching i didn't even remember that i did it that's the just, scary part but you just do a, you just have this immediate yeah. sort of reaction and it's like a blackout boom yeah you know but that that reaction could also have a massive consequence which yeah. is a lot of what we see today you know like the brain snaps of people that are costing them you know many many years incarcerated yeah. because of a fucking stupid decision um you know one thing i've learned over the years is just smile step the fuck back and just yeah keep walking on i mean i guess that that for me that's what I loved about Muay Thai. You know, we talk about fighting. I mean, I've been, um, you know, training Muay Thai for many, 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 many years. Where do you train at? Um, now at Strikeforce under the wonderful Mark Pease. Yeah, Mr. Okay. Mark Pease, that is. Yeah, right. Um, he's a legend. Um, and I was, for many, many years, under legendary John Wayne Parr. Um, and I have the utmost respect for him and, and, and you know, what I was able to um, learn from him. Um, you know, a lot of people don't ever have that opportunity to be trained under a 10-time world champion. Oh, yeah. You know, I... Especially so close to home. Mate, I, I, I go back to their old gym, you know, before the one here in Burley, you know, many, many years ago. And, um, you know, um, it, it's just awesome. But there comes a time, too, where, like, I've got two young sons now that also train and a daughter. And, um, you know, I needed to find what suits all of us. Yeah, um, yeah. So we chose, we chose to just, yeah, thank Wayne and move on to the strike force. Um, and it's it's been epic. Yeah, love love our Strikeful family. And I mean, you talk about core, you talk about real, you talk about just fucking you know Muay Thai roots. It's there. It's um, 
it's not a Hollywood style gym. It's not fucking you know like oh pretty and look at me. It is real deal. We got real fighters, yeah. real real brotherhood. You know the women, the men. It, it's it's good. You know, and it, it's a good thing for the young kids. And um, you know, I've unfortunately had to retire. Um, only two weeks ago, I wanted to have a couple of more fights this year. Yeah, you've had a couple of fights. I had, eh? had a few, actually. And um, I really wanted to finish the year in a big note because last year I nearly got killed at work. It was a year, actually, I think, to today. Really? What's the yeah, day? fuck What's the yeah. Day today? What is it, seventh? Yeah, it's the seventh today, bro. Fifth night, mate. Fuck yeah. It's, it's a year ago. So I was airlifted out of Collinsville. No uh, shit. Mate, I was fucked. I was what happened? killed. I was dogging for a frenner. We'd done 22 lifts that day and we were building solar farms. So we had these massive 40-foot containers. Yeah. On the 40-foot container, had three big panels, about 250 to 280 kilos each, big steel panels. So within that, there was like a bolt on one end, a bolt here, and then a bolt here and a bolt here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So basically what happens is sling up the panels start to take the detention and you know undo the bolts it's hard and step away come around this side pull the other bolt out the frenner would take the weight pull it out and you know you're in a safe zone over this side so we've done as i said 22 lifts months prior to that they'd been moved around the site and panels had been falling off in transit so safety had sort of said to the sparkies you just need to fucking fix this up they put their hand up and said, yep, been done. So we're talking months, you know, later. Yeah. Here I am on site. Um, last lift of the day. And basically, yeah, I pulled the first panel, pulled the second, moved into in front of the the third panel. And I was just in a, like a, a trench that probably about a meter deep because of all the um, cabling that had to go in underneath these yeah, big yeah. inverters. They're raised up on, you know, concrete um, slabs just to get underneath and put the hard wiring in it basically fucking fell and just crushed me fuck yeah it 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 came down and i had no idea so i was completely relaxed winding up the frenner and then i just see this fucking face on this driver and he's just like i'm like fucking what yeah chill you know and he's like i'm like fuck in my head i'm thinking dude fucking lives easy like what are you talking next minute whack and hit me from about halfway down my back so I smashed me and I fell to my knees and it was just like bang them and knees and then my whole body completely folded and I remember just like sitting there for a, you know what seemed a minute was probably seconds yeah just to feel if I was still functional like if I could fucking feel my legs my arms or yeah. what was what was going to happen he come running out of the franner and basically you know trying to lift this big bit of steel and obviously couldn't lift it on his own but he got close enough to me where he could just take it up enough and somehow i was able to just on my arms just drag Crawl myself out. out and fucking get out and he was like no no i'll lift you up and i was like mate don't touch me just let me just yeah. leave it for a sec and i couldn't fucking feel much and then all of a sudden i felt this hot burn feeling from my hips down and started to get real tight and i was like fuck get me up man get me up so I'd sort of drag me over to the front wheel of the frenner. I'd pull myself up. And the moment I'd come up, I just felt this massive swelling, pulsation, oh. this sharp pain around my lower back, my hips. And it, that was just fucked. And I said, mate, we're in trouble. Get help now. Because I, I knew something. It had to be so, to me, it was like something like to do with the nerve. Yeah. There was something that wasn't, that burning feeling just wasn't normal. Yeah. And neither was the pain, you know, the shootingness of the pain. So anyway, they came and, 
yeah, it ended up real bad. I couldn't feel anything and had to get airlifted out of there. And what was the injuries in the end? Uh, thankfully, I only had uh, soft tissue damage and, and nerve damage, uh, but I've had three back operations in the last four months. Fuck. Yeah, so obviously there was fucking something wrong. Um, yeah. You know, they've done nerve deadings, they've done fucking facet injections with steroids, and even now, like, my hip's fucked. So I basically had to put my hand up. I've gone back to training and I've gone to try and, you know, put it in my head no you'll be fine you'll be fine and after the last back operation about six weeks ago i come out for fuck i feel like superman yeah i haven't felt this good that's good i was good so i started you know doing five six seven k runs you know fucking back in all so right i'm gonna strip this weight down i'm getting back over those ropes back into training twice a day i started doing like functional body movement through zoo training you know trying yeah. to just loosen my body up and then i was going to do pad work and you know like thinking that i was back and then just went boom and knocked me on my ass and like it's been now probably two and a half weeks and my hips are fucked really yeah so, so what kind of problems are you having with your hips just constant pain like is I've it got in to the back it, of your yeah, hips yeah it's like it feels compressed from you know the top of my thighs into my lower lower hip area i've got a um, and stuff i've got a device upstairs that i'll bring down it's mm. called a a, a so right and um it's it goes basically you like lay on it so it's got these two sort of looks like that and yeah. it's got like a hole in there and then you basically lay on it and it uh stretches or like it compresses into the psoas muscle oh wow so that's the muscle that connects from your like your lower spine in yep. the front yep to your femurs in the front like runs sort of like down through your hips so a lot of times that they say that um a lot of people that have lower back pain is actually because their hip flexors are tight and they're like compressing, like pulling on your spine. That's, that's exactly what, you just hit the nail on the head there, compressing. So I feel like I just want it someone to like fucking grab my ankle and just pull it straight yeah. out of the socket. Well, try this, leg. try this thing after the podcast. I'll bring it downstairs. You can lay on the mats out there. Oh, thank um, you. But yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's fucking good, dude. Because, yeah. so like the, um, well, I actually learned about it on the David Goggins podcast with Rogan. Yeah. And there's a guy in australia um grappling supply is on i'll, I'll put it on instagram yeah. actually i've been meaning to he sent it to me a while ago um and i've been using it regularly but I, I haven't like spoken about it or anything um but yeah so i'll bring that down but man i get crazy pains in my hips um from like in the front of my hips yep. and my back gets back, tight because yep. i'm at the desk all the time yeah so like those hip flexors are constantly um, contracted so gnarly and yeah so it actually like pulls down in your spine but David Goggins when he did the podcast with Rogan yep. he was saying that he because he runs so much that it actually got so tight that it started yeah doing that nerve damage and, and sort of compressing it's and it's fucked it everything. stops you completely like yeah. I, I have a real issue now, I've always been active, you know, like I... I Why do you run, though? Because oh, running's like fucking the worst thing well, you can do, especially it's either, it's, if you've got It's either that or ride, you. you know what yeah. I mean? And at the moment, I can't sit for too long. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, if I can get in just a nice trot... Have you have you done any swimming ever? Love it. And I have done. Because um, like the beach swims in the mornings would just be perfect. It's, it is. And where I live, you know, I'm blessed to have that two minutes from home. So, you know, I do get those options and I can do it. I mean, the biggest thing is for me is just... Oh mate, it, it's it's hard. It's consistency. It, it's when I'm on, I'm on. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like if you if if I set a goal, I'll achieve that goal because I won't fucking stop until I do. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, since this accident, I've tried to set goals, 
that you've found but your body. But I physically just, yeah. cannot achieve it. You know, mentally I'm all over it. And, you've and it's getting kicked, frustrating. You've kicked enough goals physically to know that, like, you will see something through. Like, obviously, the east, east to west cycles, yep. you know, you're the first guy to do it. So, it's like, that's a... There's obviously not a problem with you committing to something and actually having a fucking crack at no, it. No, not at all. And funny enough, you say that. I did a half Ironman um, in 2017 and then backed up um, a 10-day... Well, I did it in eight days around Tassie as well. Yeah, right. Um, like it's just... I love, I love that that feeling of challenging myself mm. i love that feeling of somebody saying you can't do that you ain't able to do that man i'm 130 kilos and i you know like i did just under four and a half thousand meters of elevation in the first three days of, of leaving the coast yeah you know that was just back-to-back climbing um to get out west like fuck me dead mate this body yeah but i didn't say that too i trained very hard for that um you know i put my body through hell rain hail or shine i was out there and i was doing what had to be done to achieve it there was no not going to or failing to do it i mean i fractured my elbow yeah i fucked that day was two. yeah it was well, I, well in 2016 we had a massive east coast low that came across i left on the first of june and um it was coming the fucking storm and i was riding straight out west out through Kyogle, yeah heading out towards um dubbo yeah and it was just gnarly, you know, before I even got to Moree, it was just fucked, you know, like I was... Just, just rain. It was heavy, and I remember the second day, I was going up into the the, um, the Tablelands, you know, to cross over on the Queensland, New South Wales, what they call it, the Granite Belt. Yep. And a lot of trucks use it. It's old, shitty roads, and there's fucking potholes everywhere, and it's really loose gravel roads. Yeah. So I'm sort of, like, trying my best just to stay upright, let alone, you know, away from these potholes, and then... I think I just sort of got so engulfed in the weather and just trying to stay yeah. focused. I wasn't looking at the road. Anyway, I hit this fucking pothole. Front flip, somersault. The funny part about it was I've actually got it on camera. As as I was in the air, and it wasn't until months later, I've hit it, flipped it, because I had a Garmin camera on the front. Yeah, you know, I was camera it up. It was all GPS, so everybody could track it. And as I've hit the air, you just hear this... Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> My body, my body had folded over and, and squeezed me. <laughs> I farted and followed through. Oh, <laughs> fuck! I up. was fucking heavy, <laughs> and um, you know, thankfully it was raining and I was already oh. wet, and <laughs> that was fucking heavy. But anyway, I I sort of didn't worry. I had about thirty k's to go on that day, and I wasn't too worried about what was fucking going on between my cheeks. Hey, you know what? You're not the first person on this podcast that shit themselves during a ride, right? So don't fucking feel that awkward makes you feel it. so fucking Toby, good. Toby Price shit himself. Oh in the mate, the Dakar. He would just be shitting and pissing himself nonstop. Like yeah. what, you don't stop. So. He loves it. It's um. Look, it, it happened, and um, what come of that was um really tough times. I didn't realise it, but I'd fractured my elbow. Uh, it was fucking you know out like a balloon. My knee was ripped apart. Mind you, I had thick clothing. It was winter. It was cold. I was doubled up. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like it was just my skin to the road. So I'd given it a good tear. Um, we'd sort of scrubbed it off. Justin, um, the young man that followed me across Australia with a vehicle in a caravan, absolute legend, Justin Jansen. And um, he was like, fuck, bro, fuck, I've got to get to a chemist. You know, we're just arriving. And I said, just do it. You know, we pulled up. They spent his scrubbing me and we're trying to get all the gravel out and that because we knew straight away that you that would cause infection, infection yeah. you know. 
So we and thought, how run down your body was going to oh, be. Oh, mate, and it was it was already happening because you know, like you literally train for so long, you're so fit, and all of a sudden, bang, you know, you're just into this headwind and just rain and just it was fucking gnarly. But plus, like the mental. Uh, obstacle of the fact that like okay this is me now for 45 days well this was the thing you know what do you do do you just you, you two 250k's from home 300k's from home you say fuck I, I, I'm out or do you just shut the fuck up and keep going so I chose to shut the fuck up I mean we had to make it known while we stopped because it was like I say it was all GPS so we had to obviously yeah. document everything um, and I just basically said look I've come off the bike was this is you know there was pictures of it and it wasn't pretty but i didn't say that i was you know in, in too bad a pain or anything like that so we got some anti-inflammatories we cleaned it up and off we went we got to sejuna yeah um and it was the second state of origin in 2016 um and we're gonna go down to the pub and have a pub dinner that night you know it's just just something different you know yeah. before we hit the nullarbor um I just watched the footy anyway i sort of said to justin look I had something to eat and it was about 5.36 and I said, look, mate, go, I'm, I'm, I'm fucked, you know? So I sort of went and put myself to bed and I think he went and just, you know, had to relax and socialize with some locals, whatever. Came back and I heard him come in at about 11.30 and I tossed and sort of went, fuck, you know, I went back to sleep. Three o'clock in the morning, I woke up screaming in the fucking worst pain I've ever felt. Really? Yeah. So my elbow was literally like my fucking kneecap. You know, it was blowing up by the minute. I had this massive red line going up uh, under my arms and it was septicemia. Yeah. I didn't even know what that fucking was. Um, next thing you know, we're like straight into Sejuna Hospital, bang. You know, like I had two trainee nurses sitting there laughing, trying to find a fucking vein. Mm. Obviously, with the tattoos, they couldn't find a vein. They, they weren't educated enough to, to feel the vein. You mm. know? So and then they've punched me all over the place. Oh, well, we can't seem to get... We're going to have to give a break. And I'm like, fuck, get the fucking thing into me. I need to be on a drip. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll have to wait for that. And I was losing my shit. Anyway, a doctor came through and he was like, mate, this guy's in a bad state. My temperatures were hitting 39.5 and just on the verge of 40. It wasn't good. My body was so hot. So he come in anyway. He got me in for the next three days, every four hours, was just getting fucking pumped with just needles and drips and injections and... It wasn't good, you know, like I went through some really, really dark sort of moments. Um, it was horrible. Then they um, couldn't operate on me, so they had to send me to Royal Adelaide. Oh. So I flew to Royal Adelaide, um, got operated on. Within seven days, I signed myself out against the doctor's wishes, flew back to Sejuni with 36 stitches on my elbow and holipandone and infl- any inflammatories, and I did 2,000 Ks in under 10 days. Um, and yeah successfully uh finished the ride across australia fuck what was the feeling like i mean i know you filmed um, it when you rode through when you come into perth but like I just, you looked like super emotional i, I was uh, you know it was a massive build-up you know i've got my good mate's wife passed with cancer um young mother a beautiful human um that happened while i was on the nullarbor so you know, I, I was taking that on board and feeling that sort of emotion and my own children were worried you know Mm. Um, their dad was in the middle of nowhere, you know, like literally on on a hospital bed, not knowing what, what's going to happen, and it was a lot, a lot involved and a lot invested in me too, you know, my own personal journey, like I was saying, you know, the doubters and the haters and mm. all that shit that I had to deal with and prove to myself. Uh, I guess 
the back of my mind, I wanted to say fuck you to everyone else too because I knew what I was doing and I was going to achieve this, you know, and to all those people that sort of doubted or thought, oh, fuck, you know, he won't do it, he's full of shit. Mm. It was that moment of just going, wow, it's it's done. Mm. I've, I've, I've achieved what I worked so hard for two years to achieve. And to be honest with you, I pretty much did it all off my own fucking bat. Mm. You know, um, there was definitely a couple of people that came into the, the lead up to it but there was only, you know, a very few that really, truly believed in me, that um, backed me, you know, helped me financially with a vehicle. Um, just support that you really need to achieve something like this, you know. So uh, my biggest thing was getting to Cottesloe Beach. It was freezing fucking cold and just diving in the ocean. You know, going from the East Coast to the West Coast, to me it was ocean to ocean and it was just yeah, pretty special. Did it, was it your first sort of like major achievement since you'd come out of prison? 100%, 100%. Probably my most only major achievement in life. I was a great rugby league player. Um, I played junior football with Manly in Western Suburbs. I had opportunities to continue that, but, you know, um, I didn't have anywhere to live. I had no stability. Mm. I was in and out of boys' homes, jail. I had nothing there to offer other than my skills. And back then it was just shone upon. There was no support programs to help that bloke, you know, that could be great at something like that. Yeah. So outside of that, it was um, a massive achievement. Massive. It, and, and I mean, that's got to be like a, a way to just be like, okay, my life is now different. You know, yeah. like I've just left prison. I've just completed something that's taken two years to do that no one else has ever done. Yep. And was that almost like the point where you left Perth and back to the Gold Coast and it was like, okay, I'm a different guy now. Like, And was that your way of almost proving to people that you're, you were going to be this different person? Yeah, I think the biggest thing out of it was self-belief. Like, yeah. I always believed that I could do it, but um, I cemented it. Yeah. I cemented it within my own mind that you can achieve anything through adversity um, if you put your mind to it. You know, some of the greatest champions of the world through sport have had to hit rock bottom before they've hit the pinnacle at the top. I felt like one of those. Mm. You know, like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm not a world champion, but I am a world champion, you know. I, I That's a world first. I yeah. did a world first, and um, that's mine. I own that, you know, and I fucking worked hard for it. Um, yes, it is something that, you know, forever my children will be able to look at, you know. And, and for me, it was massive because my history was only ever, you know, dad the gangster dad the bikey dad the fucking this and that you know been to jail there wasn't a lot there to be proud of mm. you know I've got a 20 year old son that literally I haven't seen for two and a half years you know um, because of my choices earlier in life um, I wasn't a bad dad but I wasn't a present dad if that makes sense yeah. you know and that you and know, again like not not a dad to be proud of no fuck no you know like um, I put my hand up it breaks my heart to say it but I wasn't I, you know but I made that choice to change that with my other three children. And having completed this was huge, you know, and the kids get excited. Now, like, my youngest is five and he goes, Dad, when I grow up, you know, we're going to do a ride across Australia together. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's what I wanted to hear, you know. That's all the dreams and visions I had of later in life from what I was about to accomplish, you know. And the fact, too, that I wanted to inspire so many other people that were struggling, you know, through dark, dark days and feeling that they're worthless. 
you know, I don't have a trade. I don't have anything to fall back on like that. Neither do fucking thousands of others. Yeah. I'm not the only one that's had a tough life. You yeah. know what I mean? There's so many people out there. But I've been able to find that strength to have a voice and not give a fuck. Not give a fuck in a way that I don't care what that person thinks of me anymore. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think there's a lot of people that unfortunately uh, um, really do feel that they'll be judged. Yeah. You know? And, and reality is, mate... You make life what you want it to be. Yeah. And that's what I want it to be and what I continue to want it to be today. You know, I've still got fucking aspirations to do something else crazy. Yeah. But something great, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I chose, as I said, I did a half Ironman and I, I came third in my category, but I think there was only five of us. That's what I said, top three. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you think that um, you can mend bridges with your son, your 20-year-old? Oh, look, I'd love to. Um you know, it breaks my heart. He's got, you know, two younger brothers and a sister that just um, want to know their big brother. I mean, I know enough to know that he's not like I was. Yeah. You know, and if there's one thing in life I can say is my wrongs have been my children's rights. Um, yeah. He's highly intellectual. And, you know, um, from what I can find out and what I do know, he's doing very, very well for himself. Um, and I can't ask for any more than that, you know. Yeah. He's a man. He's not a little boy anymore. He um, has his own choices. And the hardest thing for me, I guess, was I didn't speak to my father for fuck, maybe 12, 13 years, you know. Um, sort of a little bit like a mirror image. Yeah. You know? But I know how stubborn I was. Yeah. I know how much hurt I had, you know. And I, I sort of think, fuck, I just hope that he doesn't take that long to say, hey, let's chat. Yeah. You know. But... Uh, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah, I was going to say, like, literally all you can do is just keep doing the, you know, being Absolutely. positive and, and Absolutely. Sort of you know, like I, I, you know, for all the fathers out there that are struggling, that have got children out there that they absolutely love and adore, you know, but just aren't a part of their life for whatever reason that's outside of their own choice, um, just keep doing you because, you know, like, especially if you've got other children, you know, into another relationship. I've been with my, my wife for 16 years now and she's sensational puts up with my shit you know like fuck who would do that you know but <laughs> she's blessed me with three beautiful children she's been my rock and I've got to say you know um, a massive part of my betterness in my life is having her by my side you know there's no punches pulled um, and you know she she calls it for the way it is but at the same time too she's shown me love taught me that you know you can trust people you can love people mm. um and that's been a pretty special thing, you know, because you sort of become so fucking thick-skinned, you know, that you just, you don't have that emotion within you to give a fuck, you know, like mm. to, to actually be open-hearted, to be well, compassionate. I can imagine that growing up in the environment that you did, compassion and kindness was a trait that wouldn't yeah. really get you very far, right? No, it was a weakness. It would actually fuck you up. 100% weakness. And, you know, for anybody to see that... You, you're fucked mate you just you're a target um and that's something like don't get me wrong you know i i got jumped jumped a few times like john hopawati i don't forget really oh, you got jumped him. by john hopawati oh, yeah him and his islander mates for a pair of nikes when i was about 12 years of age at the train oh, so station. you rocked around with those boys or no, like fuck rocking around with them, or like you were in that that was the mix that you're in yeah well the western suburbs of sydney was you know back in those days was so he was, was a bit of a cunt back in oh, the day he was a prick <laughs> You know, he's fucking... Yeah, fuck. I don't forget, like I said. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, no, you know, like that was the reality of it growing up back then. You know, you're just a um, just a young sort of um, white fella um, within a strong indigenous and islander community that. If you weren't with them or a part of them, mate, you were just a fucking vulnerable victim. And the you know, reality was, who did I have to fall back on? I had to mm. sort of learn to stand on my own two feet. I guess that's where it really started to kick in. So how did your parents end up in that situation? Yeah, look, my father was a very, very hardworking man. Um, you know, he had a problem with alcohol, as did his mother. Um, and since, you know, going many, many years later and learning about who my father was, our paths weren't very very different you know he went through some um, terrible times he was also sexually abused you know by the scoutmaster back in the day and um my grandfather was a merchant seaman so you know he wasn't around a lot um and his mum was you know what they would call a bar wench back in the day so he didn't really have the best of starts and it was built you know around sort of hardship you know a fucking real sort of don't cry don't complain yeah you just cop it and kick along with my father's a, an identical twin both great footballers both um had history with manly ringer and you know like there was some really good stuff but you know obviously my father's demons got the better of him um with the, the heavy consumption of alcohol and back then it was like a flag in a fucking port yeah you know and he's pulling down fence palings at fucking four o'clock in the morning and burning a bonfire between the neighborhood fences because that was just what they did you know this neighbor's that fucking aboriginal mission sort of thing where they just all got together and charged up and yeah that was it so you know the old fella became a real prick (laughs) um and it was very violent so you know that that reflected on my mother who you know copped a lot of abuse but then you know i would sort of try and defend my mother back in the day um were you always like a big kid bigger bigger i mean i was a front rower in rugby league since the age of six yeah and I'd never played any other position. And then, you know, back then, predominantly the bigger guys sort of played up the front rows, the yeah. forward position. So, yeah, definitely uh, a bigger guy. But, you know, I, I was, I don't know, I, timid, I suppose, in some ways too, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, because I was carrying so much, so much hurt and, and stuff inside. And it was just one of them things that, you know, as much as I had a presence. You know, I wanted to sort of be strong. I wasn't strong. Yeah. Um, and my mother ended up leaving my father after, you know, many years of, of, of the abuse and what have you. And she left me, took my younger brother and sister and just bailed. Um, I don't see her speak to her for fuck, 20 years. And, um, yeah, um, the rest is sort of what made me who I am today. And so, well, how old were you when um, you left that environment with your dad and went to live with your mum? Oh, mate, I never lived with my mum. I was living with my dad. My mother had left me. Oh, um, so your mum left you with your dad? Yeah. She oh, basically okay. had just dumped me on him and he didn't want me there at that stage, you know, like it was going to sort of fuck up his way it of thinking. It was just a hassle, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So he was in another relationship and, um, you know, once again, that was very volatile um, I didn't get on with that particular person um, for you know many many years, and you know I'd come home from school, and if I hadn't sort of done the chores that she had three children, but those children were never expected to do anything. It was just me. I was like fucking the bitch, you know, like mm. why didn't you do this? Ah, like, oh, fucking hard out. 
like to the point where we'd sit down and eat a meal and I'd be given slops and leftovers from two, three days ago and they'd be all sitting there, you know. They used to nickname me Otto because back in the day, the, the old green plastic bins that came out were called Otto bins in Sydney. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and fucking I was fed the rubbish, you know. So it wasn't good, you know, and I really, really, really felt it and rebelled, you know. So every time I'd sort of flare up, She'd make up some story that the old man I'd abused her and this and he'd come here and just flog the fuck out of me. So I got to the point where school had seen so many bruises on me that pulled me out, put me into foster care. Really? Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. So that was the beginning of fucking it all, you know. And do you think that foster care was a better environment than being at home? No. So the system was not set up? Not back then. No, family and community services um, was, was very different, I think, to what it is today. You know, so much has come out in commissions and stuff today to do with, um, you know, young children and, and how they're treated and families, um, how they care for foster children. So much in respect to abuse. I mean, don't get me wrong, please. There, there's a lot of beautiful humans out there that have given their heart and soul to helping, you know, raise people that don't have um, a healthy environment. But, you know, there's... In your case, you got unlucky with that. Yeah, I, I just, you know, it just never felt right. Like, I, I ended up just... just going to the streets you know it was one of them things that just you didn't feel accepted it wasn't my home yeah they weren't my family you know um i just couldn't get that whole oh let's play happy family thing going it was just fucking wrong it was just in my head it was just that's not where i'm meant to be and did you love your dad even though he was a cunt to you oh i guess i've always loved my dad you know, like, I, I love my dad now. Like, we're fucking men. We've sat down. My dad's, you know, going through some tough times. And, um, oh, that's cool, though. Yeah, I'm, we've been able to put it all on the table and... Um, Again, have that conversation. Fucking earth, mate. You know, like, and it's been 20 years, 20-something years since he's had a drink. And, you know, like, he's a changed man. Um, who would I be asking for people to accept me as a changed man if I wasn't willing to forgive and, you know, um, move on Amen, from my, yeah. own, my own sort of stuff? So... I don't like to contradict those sort of things. You know, you've got to live it, you know, for if you're going to sort of talk about it and, yeah, and, and nice. try and help others. So I um, I found peace. He found peace. And fuck yeah, man. He's, he's, we're cool. We're cool, you know. Um, it's hard, I guess, from a mother's point of view, having not had that connection for so many years, um, finding, my, you know, my wife um, brings my, my mum and, and the children together and, you know, um, my mum's a good person and, um, yeah, you know, like, yeah, I love my mum and, but there's so many years there that I can't... There's nothing there, yeah. Yeah, I just can't fucking get that connection, if that makes sense. Abandonment would be quite a hard thing because, it like, I guess with your dad, it's like you got taken away from him, whereas your mum left in a way. Look, my mum went through some fucked up shit, you know, and there's a lot of women out there that go through it and I, I, I really have, you know... Um, a very low tolerance for any of that sort of abuse but she did I think what she had to do that was right for her children you know my father wasn't loyal to her my father was you know abusive and I think she just um, took the only option she could see back then was to take the two young ones and you know I mean she did make it very clear that you know I was too much like my father reminded me of Mm. my father which that scarred me for 43 years yeah you know 40 odd years so um, you know, she's a good woman. She's out there. She's doing her best, and um, you know, she's great to my children, and you know, my wife and I have a great relationship, and yeah, you know, that's cool. That's, that's cool. just hard for you. Yeah, yeah, 
It is. So when then you went into the the foster care, and then did you get bounced around to a bunch of different homes and different yeah. places? Yeah. At, at first, I mean, one of my sort of um, fondest memories was. Oh, and how old were you? Sorry, when this. Was so happening? I was ten, turning eleven. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they're like your most formative years as a young, oh, as mate. you're coming into puberty and. Fucking if like you know, I just. I don't know how many times I'd just wander the streets at night, you know, between the ages of 10 and 12. Fuck. Fucking freezing cold, mate. I slept in a football oval for like two months in a sleeping bag and there was a cricket pitch in this oval and it was pitch black. It was a big backing onto like a big bush area. It was fucking scary, mate. You know, and I thought if I could just sleep in the sleeping bag, no one would dare walk through the middle of this oval because there's no lights, there's no nothing, you know. And I thought, I'm safe. And that's what it come to, like those moments of just putting yourself what you thought was in one of the gnarliest sort of spots, but a safe spot, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because in hindsight, who wants to walk through the fucking middle of a pitch black oval? We'll walk around it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially when it backs on a bush. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> you know, so... That's called street smart right there. That's, and yeah, that that's what it became. Life just purely became based around that. Yeah. You know, growing up and sort of street education and... Yeah. And so you don't have a family as such. And is that when the streets became like a family? Like yeah. how did you first, how does it first go to where you transition to be like a kid that's alone in a sleeping bag by himself in the streets to then have a family in the streets? Well, I mean, I, I sort of, you know, thought oh, I would be cool to sort of hang with this. So yeah, I guess you just follow it around like a fucking sheep, you know, you're trying to impress the crew that are there, you know. Everybody's out doing something that's not right, you know, whether it be stealing or fucking selling drugs or whatever it was. They were doing it to, I guess, to live at that stage. So, you know, you want to be accepted, you get involved in it, you know. You, all of a sudden, you, you, you're getting sort of, oh, he's a fucking dickhead, look at this bloke, you know, who's he, where's he come from? That sort of attitude, you know. So it wasn't as easy as just trying to be a part of something that you know you gotta earn your way in fucking earn it mate Christ yeah it's hard you know and and I know many a times I was treated like a fucking idiot you know used for certain things and I was stood over a few times you know like literally you know I'd do something and you know have a little bit of a cash roll in my pocket next minute fucking they'd jump me and take my money and I'd be back to square one so there was no loyalty in that respect you know but then come from that you know was these little crews that started to split you know, which was where the crime went to, you know, jumping bank counters and, you know, ram raiding. And we had a tight-knit crew because, you know, you fucking rely on each other. One gets caught, you're not going to talk about it, you know what I mean? And we were solid. We were solid. And, and how did you guys first meet? And like Same sort of way, eh? Like, just bump each other, similar situations. Just you're out and about. You, you click with some, you don't with others, you know? Next minute you haven't fucking... You're on the piss with them, partying, and then next thing, oh, yeah, we'll catch up, we'll catch up tomorrow, or whatever. Then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, you start hanging out a bit more and realise you've got a lot more in common than you think. Um, and you, I guess you're longing for a family at this 100%, point, too. 100%, you're just willing to be accepted, you know. Um, you know, to have a buddy, a mate, just to, yeah, that's me, bro. You know what I mean? Like, we're side by side, rock solid. Do you think that looking back on it now like when you say like your wife's taught you about what real love is and you got your kids and there's unconditional love there do you think that those connections with those guys were genuine back then i can tell you now out of about 12 of us um there's four dead and there's probably well there is there's three of us that still at this age in life talk to each other one 
Um, he's done about 24 years jail, and the other bloke's a success. Yeah, right. Um, absolute legend. And, you know, he's doing great things too. And, and so it's kind of nice because... Um, so there, there is like a real friendship that was formed. There is, back yeah. Then, I yeah. mean, like definitely not in, in the mass of everybody, but those of us that are left... Um, there's a couple of us that are real still tight. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So then, so you get into that group at what sort of age is that you reckon? Yeah. So you're starting to sort of look at that 13, 14, you know, 15 and, um, and were you going to school much? Nah, fuck school, mate. School. Didn't go I, any of it. I was highly embarrassed, you know, like I become that, that kid that was turning up to school in the shitty old shoes, you know, like yeah. back then it was the old Dunlop volleys, which are really cool now. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. expensive. But, you know, but back you then like it was Darrow just... Dude. I was. Yeah. You know, when the Adidas three-stripe tracksuits come out, you know, like the school tracksuit had this this green tracksuit with this yellow stripe and everyone was coming in these, like, three-stripe pants and they're fucking cool. And I was just getting by on this little fucking second-hand Kmart little fucking yeah. two-stripe shit. And Old school slas and just mate, shit. Yeah, I mean, like, bullying's shocking today. But back then it was, I guess, a bit different. It was just like, fuck, mate. You know, you were that kid. so Just get cast out. 100%. Every time we'd go out, you know, you'd have to walk through the bus bay. There'd be a circle of fucking, you know, cool cunts. And you have to walk through that circle. You know, next minute you're getting pushed and shoved and someone gets notes. Ooh, fucking, what's your problem? Next minute, mate, they're all, you know, hands up. You've already got massive students around you and you're fighting again. You know what I mean? Like somebody wants to have a bully session and pick on you. And were um, you a violent kid back then? As I said, there was that timid side of me. Yeah. Um, definitely, if I got pushed to a point, I, I, I clicked. Yeah. Um, to the point where, you know, I, it was either me, the, me or you. Yeah. But no, it took a little bit to push those buttons. Um, I probably was so used to getting hit, you know what I mean, and, and just basically beaten that it didn't matter. I did my best and, you know, fucking walked on. Yeah. But it was a lonely walk. Yeah. You know? One of my um one of my best mates growing up, he had a pretty sort of rough go with his old man and that. And um we used to get in fights at school fucking all the time. And he just wasn't scared because he'd get fucking clipped every day by yeah. like a grown ass man. And he just was like, What the fuck's a twelve year old gonna do to me? And that that's where your mindset comes. Like you may not be the greatest at sort of, you know, putting your hands up or whatever, but you t- just didn't you give a fuck. fucking take it yeah you're you know? on a different you level. become numb to it you know you just expect it you just expect oh, I'm gonna get fucking jumped um and that's where it sort of got to and I'll, I'll never forget you know I had gotten a brand new pair of Nikes Nike Air Hirachis when they first come out and um I was walking through like a park a main street in Campbelltown western suburbs of Sydney and I was on my own and I had to walk through this circle and um once again, they sort of blocked me off and they were like, fuck, give us your shoes, give us your shoes. And um, I did my best and they took one shoe, didn't get the other one. So I was fucking without a pair of shoes. <laughs> so anyways, I sort of managed to go and get another pair the next day. And I picked up one of those old glass Coke bottles. And um, I had it in my head that if they were going to do this again today, then this was going to be the day that it was going to stop. Um, and yeah, I ended up fucking... Walking through, smashing the glass Coke bottle and just nicked two of them. I got one of them just short of the jugular and the other one scarred him right across his face. So I ended up in um, boys' home for that, for malicious wounding. And, um, you know, it was a real shit thing because... Was that your first time to jail? Uh, for their serious offence, yeah. 
Yeah, I'd had other charges leading up to that, but that was, you know, a serious enough offence on top of the other charges. Yeah. That was sort of minor offences um, that warranted my first real sort of boys' home sentence, and that was, you know, a good six months yeah. straight off the bat there. And, and what... Um, so when you sort of first got with that crew, what sort of crime stuff were you doing? Was it just a lot, like, mostly robbery stuff at no, the start? No, see, I've never been one, you know... Um, I know it sounds contradictive and I said I don't like doing that, but I've never been a thief that went and stole from someone's home or personally. Yeah. It's not my go. You know, I was a part of a crew that were young but willing and we'd, you know, we'd go do sort of fucking like, I won't say too much because... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time ago and there's been someone watching over me on that one. But, you know, like, for example, when laptops came out, you know, we um, did a job that fucking was worth you know a couple hundred thousand dollars big jobs you know we, we we had big fucking big goals yeah and we loved cash you know well everyone at that stage was on you know the drug scene falling into the heroin back then like it was an epidemic as is ice today yeah that wasn't us sort of you know eight ten blokes we didn't mind a drink but it wasn't our go you know our biggest thing was the rush of you know getting the stacks the yeah big, the big money mm. So our, our sort of crime was, you know, up there. And when when did you go out? Like, how old was that? Oh, God. Started getting good at what we are doing about 15. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's such a crazy age to be, like, doing oh, that look, kind of... it was. Of and, you know, we had fences back then that, you know, literally you could turn up to somewhere with a bootload full of fucking laptops, as I say, or even the digital handy cams when they first come out, you know? Yeah. Like, we'd have a fucking room full of them, like... And a bloke could just take it. Cigarettes. Cigarettes were another massive thing, you know, like tobacconists before the days of what they are now, you know, like we'd just clean out a tobacconist and you just have what we used to call scumbags, you know, the big lolly bags? The, you know, the $2 shop and you go and you get those. Yeah, 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 yeah. We used yeah, to call yeah. them scumbags because everybody that was fucking a bum was walking around with them. That yeah. was just what it was. And we used to fill them with cartons and the money we used to get was phenomenal. Really? Mate, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and then that led us to wanting to go into state because we'd be on the run obviously from our own state yeah. for the crimes we did you know for whatever reason fingerprints or whatever we slipped up sure as hell would there be something out there that we wanted for so we'd just get on a plane and back then you only needed a signature from a, a carer or an adult to get your plane ticket to you know oh. fuck off into state and bang off we were into another state doing the same thing so then it sort of it grew from there to ram raids and then um, what we called bankies, which, yeah, we were known as the original banky boys. We'd pull up in a, a nice prestige vehicle out the front of a bank and the driver would sit there and whoever was in the car would jump out and we'd just run straight in the bank over the counter before they put the shutters up. Yeah. And clean out the drawers with no weapons or nothing. Straight back over in the hottie and gone. No shit. Oh, no, it was fucking good. <laughs> That's so crazy, <laughs> that was eh? good. But, you know, saying that, I say that to... You know, don't think out there, guys, that it's fucking cool to do because it's not. But, um, you know, back then it was a In rush. A day, yeah. We had nothing. You know, here we are, these kids that come from fucking nothing, broken homes, you know, like literally the street to all of a sudden we're cashed, you know, we're in Sergio Ticini tracks, it's Lacoste, you know. You hear these young guys today walk around in their Gant and Nordica and these Eshes or fucking lads or whatever you want to call them. These guys, that you know, this cursor yeah. era or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. But we set that platform. 
That's crazy. You know, like, uh, I can show fucking pictures where we're wearing, you know, like $1,000 Sergio Tacchini track suits with the latest fucking, you know, Nikes, Nike Air Maxes and all this sort of shit. Yeah. We, 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 we made that, you know what I mean? And um, it's sort of funny when I look at it now and I watch all these young guys coming up and got their cool little side bags and their fucking, you know, Lacoste caps and... yeah. Oh yeah, I've seen you all before. That was uh, yeah, it. It is, our and it's it's. I mean, okay, it's a different generation, and it's all it's all about image conscious. I think you know, and everybody trying to make a name for themselves. But yeah, we we sort of we open that door. <laughs> what what sort of lifestyle? Like, so then did you have the cash to get like good apartments? And you had we lived like, in hotels. Yeah, always so you on never the go. No, 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 no. We're never stable. It was never a home. You know, like literally we'd be in hotels two, three days moving on to another one and it was just how we lived. Yeah, okay. You know, out shopping every day after we earned, fucking cashed up. Like we looked like millionaire kids. Like we'd just come from the North Shore of Sydney and fucking mummy and daddy are cashed. Um, like we used to, I remember the Country Road Japara jackets. We walked in when they first come in, like seven, eight hundred dollars a jacket in winter and they were the best, warmest fucking hoodie that was sick like they were cool and if you had this it was like fuck check that out we all had it it was like our crew you know we'd walk down the street of you know the city down to all but 600 in the middle of fucking Hoyts and the, the main street of Sydney City and it was like Hoyts was the time zone back then yeah you know? yeah yeah and you'd walk in there and you know all brand new fucking shoes and you know sick jackets and that was just like I guess that feeling of um, yeah fuck we're the shit yeah you know? but really we weren't we were just street kids that had a bit of go in us you know um and then from there it sort of led into you know starting to sell drugs because like i said it was an epidemic with the heroin and yeah i was gonna say when did it go from just making that kind of like uh ecstasy was starting to kick off in the country and we were right in the rave scene back then so the original (laughs) underground rave scene um you know like you used to get 50 dollars a pill back then for these tiny little fucking you know calais splits baby calais and what do, what do they run nowadays? I fucking wouldn't have a clue. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't touch it. And anyone out there, mate, I dead set telling you now, do not believe that it's fucking ecstasy. No, none mean, of that shit is. It doesn't exist around here anymore. Yeah, it's fucking hard to get you proper know? shit. And that's why I think we're having a lot of issues with a lot of people dying and stuff. That's why I wish the government had just fucking let there be pill, pill testing. I think it's necessary purely for the fact that people it's are going to always take safe. it. fucking safe. Yeah, people are going to take it. You're not going to stop no. it. Like, But just like let people... And as fucked up as it, well, the the real thing would be just legalize or decriminalize drugs. I think so that you can buy de- yeah. ecstasy or MDMA over the counter, and then you know what you're gonna take. And you know, like you buy a fucking two pills, and you give one one to me, one to my girlfriend. Yeah. It's like she's fucking weighs way less than me. She's got way less of a tolerance. Right. You know, so it's like if you could go and you know to a place where it's like safe, and you're like, here's a half gram tablet for her here's a two milligram tablet for you or whatever only amsterdam's like that in it predominantly yeah, like yeah, majority of it you like can, that. and look i think you know it's look, the same with like weed in california everything's uh, labeled it's yeah. fucking i mean it's look, legitimate. your weed your weed's another level i i've never been a smoker but i live on cbd you know i i live on cbd oil pure cbd oil and it's been the best thing i've ever found oh, unreal, to help yeah. me so you know from that point of view i think that it's in, it, it must change um you know if we're going to save lives Look, people are going to keep doing what they're going to do. We're yep. going to keep losing lives. We've got to find a better way. It and, it's, be. and it sucks to say, but like if you bring in pill testing and then you start and like, let's say you throw decriminalization out and it stays illegal, whatever, but you just let pill testing happen. The fucking dealers 
are going to go back to suppliers and be like, oi, they're fucking testing pills. Stop yeah. cutting this shit with speed. <laughs> Stop putting, you know, like it's supply and demand. Yeah. Like if the, this, the demand changes, then the supply has to fucking change. So it's oh, like yeah, at it's least like I just... anything in it. If you're going to go get a fucking bag of coke, you're not going to go back to the bloke that just exactly, cuts the shit out you're going to stick with the fucking dude that gives you the fucking best high. Exactly. And I mean, you it know? sounds like it's fucking you know not sort of the way to do it but it's like if the government doesn't want to go down the road of decriminalization and they want to do one thing to make it yep. safer fucking let people do pill testing yeah, I you're think gonna have better quality pills for people that are still gonna take drugs i had a conversation you know talking about this on a on a um a positive way about our young people the other day and and you know the one thing i did say was and uh, i don't really other than maybe one but people didn't die at raves from taking a pill no not back then eh you know you didn't hear about it like fucking okay there was overdoses yeah it wasn't much you know and, and I'm not trying to justify the good yeah. and the bad I don't want to get into the politics of it all but the reality of it is more people you know, are dying now yes definitely and it's fucking terrible because of the chemicals that are being used you know and the backyard operators it's just it's really bad um, you know back in the day you know we like I say we were doing what we were doing but you know, it was in the era where Eckies were Eckies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know what they fucking call them today, but they're not Eckies. No, no. Um, you know, so being cash back then, we'd go and buy bulk of them at a time. You know, like I say, you're getting $50 a pill. We'd stay up on Oxford Street. Um, it was massive gay community back then, you know, from Thursday to Saturday night. That's where we started our business, you know. We'd have certain parts of the street where some of the most predominant nightclubs were. And everyone sort of got to know us and you could buy the best fucking ecstasy of us back then, you know. Yeah. Um, in saying that, it grew from that to bigger and better things and, you know, so much more money. So that first time you went to jail for glass and that dude, mm. what was that experience like? Well, it was boys' home, so it wasn't sort of... Not near, prison, prison. Nah, it was... Well, it was youth, you know, youth boys' home, youth jail. Yeah. I mean, back then, you knew everyone sort of thing. From suburb to suburb, you knew someone. So, I, I, I don't know how it is today, but I do know it's very different in the way of how people connect, you know. Like, you had mates back then that you knew. So, you know, when you went in there, it was almost like a bit of a relief because you had a bed. Yeah. You had a meal or three meals a day. You had activities. You could train. You could play sports. And then, like, it actually gave you... A bit of normality. Absolutely. Normality. And... Some of the youth workers actually cave a fuck. Like I, I can recall, you know, a couple of youth workers over the years that had a lot of compassion and were in that position because they cared. Yeah. But there was a lot out there that, you know, were just there to play fucking God with a set of keys as well. Yeah. Um, so it was almost comforting when you got locked up, you know, because you just got to have a break from the fucking hectic sort of way that the streets were. Yeah, I mean, fuck it. It makes total sense. And then is there a thing that happens to you when you go in there and it's not that negative of an experience and then you go out onto the streets again and then it's, is it almost like jail becomes like a bit of a fallback for you? Yeah, it just becomes part of what you're doing. You just expect to fucking... So you just stage. know you're going to be... It's not if but when sort of thing. Well, reality is you're going to get caught. You know, like, all right, like, you know, there's a lot of things, obviously, that all of us have done in our lives that we haven't been caught for, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you do get caught for. Whether you take that chance is up to you. These days, 
You'd be silly to with the way that fucking the world is and the technology. Fuck it. It's not worth it. Mm. Back then, there was none of that sort of shit, you know what I mean? Like, you could literally do whatever and it'd be so hard to prove that you were there or you did that, you know, yeah. or you were a part of that crime. So, um, you know, it was just part and parcel. You expected at some stage that your prints might come up or, you know, someone might tell on you. Or, but you didn't have to worry so much about fucking 5,000 phones and cameras being around you in every two yeah. steps you took. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Mm. And then so you go from the the selling the ecstasy like how big did that operation sort of ramp up huge huge the rave scene the underground rave scene was massive um you know it just went from we used to say we used to turn up at oxford street and there was the old public telephone so we're talking about the era when then you know mobile phones were like bricks yeah very so what few, very few and we working. had pages back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in the 90s. Yeah. So we had pages and, um, you know, that's how we contacted each other. Go to a public telephone, you'd ring up the page and then it would sort of give you a message. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you'd know by the message that come on your little Motorola pager what was going on. But um, the rave scene was, um, you know, like a 0055 number. So you'd turn up within a certain window of, say, 6 to 8 p.m., this line would be open and you'd ring it and there'd be hundreds of people on this street lined up at these phone boxes no taxis way. just fucking lined up for everywhere and all of a sudden you'd see like just nobody and then just boom taxis are going here there and around and be like just fucking follow that taxi follow that taxi all of a sudden you'd see just lines lines and lines of traffic of taxis just trailing each other out alexandra or redfern or you know wherever these rays were being held in these massive factories and you know People would come generally and buy their fucking snack pack, <laughs> their pills and trips and whatever they were buying. Because you remember acid was big back then, you know, yeah. you get a sheet of trips too. And like good acid back oh, then. Well, it was, you know, if you, if you like your acid, it was fucking good time to be tripping. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but um, it was a period where it was, I don't know how else to explain it. It was just, it was crazy. Like it would, you know, crew would just go, whoa. Then it'd just be like, boom, within an hour, you just see constant lines of taxi. So, Next minute, you got, you know, 500,000, 2,000 sometimes, depending on the size of the venue, people at these raves until they basically got shut down. And then I was going to say, like, wh- how long did that go with before the police really oh, looked at I mean, in the beginning, they'd go for fucking, you know, 24 hours easy. No shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they started to, the coppers started to come down hard on them, you know, and um, obviously they knew, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of drugs Drug flooding activity. in. Yeah, yeah. But there was no violence. Yeah. There was never any violence at them. Um, no alcohol. I mean, I'm sure people were drunk when they turned up or what have you, but that whole thing of sitting around a bar, getting pissed, looking at each other, getting grumpy, throwing punches. I was going to say, isn't... None of that shit. Isn't that funny, man? You don't see you don't see fights at raves where there's fucking everyone's on MDMA. No. And you never see two stoners or three stoners sitting around on a fucking couch fighting each that? other. Imagine three cunts ripped off their tits on the lead. And it never happens. Standing there having a serious face off going, fuck, I'm going to smash you. It's, it's, fuck, it's, it's impossible. You it's literally impossible. Up, mate. Yeah, you How could you it. be serious? Like, <laughs> let alone throw a punch with power or a kick or just... It just it doesn't ethically work. No, that's what I mean. <laughs> but like, where do you see fucking fights, man? Nightclubs oh, where they serve. 100%. Uh, you know, like, I wouldn't... You wouldn't catch me in a nightclub at all. No, nah, it's fucking dog shit. Would eh? not, you know. Nah, like, give same. me, a, give me a backyard with some buddies and a barbecue, fucking stereo Westweight. Yeah, you know, like fuck that whole scene. That's just shit. Yeah, well, that's it's and it's no secret that 
the fucking fighting comes from alcohol. And, you know, like, fuck, once again, you know, we can start a whole new conversation, you know, these dog shots and one punch. Oh. You know, the amount of young lives and, and not just young lives, fucking anybody's life that gets that one king hit from the fucking nowhere that just drops you. I mean, who the fuck's going to be able to take something that just comes blindedly, you know, with so much force and hit you, you know, generally around the jaw area? I think 90% of people are going to drop. When you yeah. drop, you hit the ground hard. Um, and unfortunately, you know, it's sad because people lost their lives. And, um, you know, I touch wood we haven't heard of one for a little while now since the campaign started yeah but it becomes such a thing just piss young fuckwits just going up just blind shot and you know dog shotting people and just it seems, shit it seems like there there is like a shift though to where that stuff is and like you said like you know wearing colors and doing that whole thing it's like there's an old school morality and they're even talking to abbo like he wasn't the kind of guy that wanted to go out and nah. just hit cunts for the sake of nah. hitting people nah. but it's like at what point did that shift oh look i you know i was raised old school like men like abbo you know what i mean so for me it was embedded in me about morals whether you want to fucking sit there and say you know you were scum shit whatever and criminal or that's okay, but we probably had better morals than the average fucking person. You know, loyalty, respect. Um, and, and you know, the way that it's headed now with how things are done so publicly and so open and it's it's everything's to be captured on fucking, it's all you know, for the media. And yeah. I'm like, what the fuck, mate? Like, are you serious? You know, so many people these days, you know, like pulling guns and just shooting each other just to go to jail because their mates are fucking doing jail you know like and they want to be known as fucking you know Mr. Gangster Terry Tough Cunt mate it, it's shit it really is like what life's that spend the next fucking 20 years for a stupid decision and I guarantee by the time you come out of jail it's not going to make you any better but it'll make you a lot more smarter to what you did yeah your mindset will be different the way you think about it and you can't tell me 100% I know this that 99% of people that walk out of there that aren't psychotic fucking murderers would regret pulling that trigger at that time yeah especially being young you know what i mean like fuck it's not good so what was your like when did you go into prison for like your first sort of big fucking 18 so straight off the bat yeah really? i just did um 18 months up at um carry on so carry on was a maximum security at mount penang they just built um some really heavy young offenders back then um that had been we were at what was called minder at Lidcombe in um patterson um, and that truck just turned up, put us all on that, and you were just gone. We had no idea where we were going. And so what was, was what, what were you in security. there for? Back then, I was done for assault and grievous bodily harm. I was done with drug supply and also arm robbery. And then how long did that get you? Two years. So and I got that, out in 18 months. Yeah, okay. And what was that experience like then of like first... Like, oh, sort of I was big starting to prison. kick into reality because... Uh, sorry, that was that was... No, that was coming on the end of the boys home so the reality was you know once they hit this maximum security um young offenders that was pretty much exactly like a jail so i'd gotten out after that one and then basically maybe not six seven months i was in long bay mm. um and i don't care what anyone says at 18 fuck it was scary yeah right you know like you, you i was coming on the back of a lot of um you know, an era where there was some fucking hard, dangerous men. Yeah. And I was in the middle of it. Like, I was just thrown in the yard. I was another criminal. I was another offender. You know, that's it. Straight there. See you later. 
just turned out that my first cellmate was Ivan Malat for the first fucking few nights. <laughs> how, how heavy was that experience? I didn't know who he was the first night, you know, and then I got in the yard and someone, I think one of the sweepers had sort of said to me, oh, you know, are you in that cell? And I was like, yeah, and do you know who your sort of cellmate is? I said, no. I said, oh, that's, uh, that's Ivan Malat. I was like, who the fuck's Ivan Malat? You know, I, 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 but obviously we know who Ivan Malat is today. Um, so anyway, yeah, I thankfully got moved the third night I put into another wing. What was he like as a cellmate? Didn't talk. Didn't say a fucking word. Really? Did, didn't, mate. It was just. I yeah. thought that was just how it was because I was new and. and he you know didn't what I mean? Talk just, to you. Nah. Why would you want to fucking talk to me? I'm just a young punk, you know? Yeah. But apparently, um, a sick fuck. That's how he was. Really? Mm. Did you hear more about him when, when you were in there? Oh, obviously. Yeah. yeah. It was all over the media, you know? Was like, he, like, notorious in the prison, though? No way. Really? No way. Um, no, I gave a fuck. No. no, not at all. Not at all. But at 18, I was just, once I'd realised who the fuck I'd been in the same cell as, I was like, fuck, this is heavy. Like it gave you a reality check of like, fuck, oh, I'm one of these dudes. I could have been fucking just knocked right there and that was it, game over, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, fuck. <laughs> does, it, does it have that hierarchy and that maximum security sort of, deal where you knew like who the top dogs were did you like you know you have to you got to know where you stand yeah absolutely there's 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 a fucking there's a hierarchy and see back then you're talking about blokes like abo and and you know some other hardened men and i'll say Abbo only because we've just mentioned his name i'm not going to go into sort of name dropping but yeah yeah he was a man that stood on his own you know a fucking staunch man that literally didn't need his gang you know um there's still staunch men in the system today, but unfortunately, the jails and the system is predominantly gang affiliated. If you're not a part of a gang, you're vulnerable. Yeah, okay. You know, and um, it's just getting worse, very much like America. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's taken us probably 10 years to catch it, but we're very close. And and so with gangs, are you, do you mean bikies? Is that the oh, gangs mate, in it, Australia? Look, it, Naturally, there's a lot of lot of inmates that are affiliated or club members. I mean, that's just part and parcel. But is there other gangs in Australia? Yeah. yeah. So what other Heaps. gangs are there? And there's Asians, there's Islanders, there's, um, you know, Aboriginals. Um, it, it, it just doesn't end. You know, these Lemmick boys have got their own crew. It's full on. Yeah. It really is. And then, you know, you've got your white supremacist boys too. You know, your Anglo boys that just stick together and feel that, you know... They're on their own, so they come together. Like, it literally, you, you, you sort of swing to whichever side that, you you know, you know someone when you're close to. Is there something that you think that... Because um, I, I lived in America for seven years. Like, the gang stuff's fucking no joke. Yeah. Like, I, I had a few times where I got stuck in, like, Compton and Inglewood and stuff like that where, like, I literally just need fuel and fire. I got, yeah, I got, stu- I got stuck in uh, Inglewood one day. No, it was Compton because I was going to FMF. Um and I just didn't have enough money for gas. So I pulled over. I was only like 20 or 21. I pulled over in my fucking truck and I just sort of slumped down in my chair, tried to be out of sight. <laughs> and I waited. It was like probably 10 o'clock in the morning and I needed my mum to transfer me money so I could get fucking fuel. That's heavy. So I just waited in, in Compton for like fucking four hours because I think it was about two o'clock in the morning is when my mum would wake up. So Fuck I just... that. It, uh, sorry, two in the Arvo, sorry. So I'd waited from like nine or ten in the morning to two in the Arvo and I just fucking slashed down in my chair. I saw some fucked up shit go down at that gas station. Like one dude started pumping the gas or like told his chick to pump the gas and then she was like, 
she refused because she like just got her nails done or something. Like I had the window <laughs> down some here and she had like this big uh, ass uh, nails. Uh, yeah. Ain't doing that shit. He pulled her out of the car by her fucking fake hair and just started like wow. pumping this chick. And then like everyone stood around. No one did anything. I was just like, holy fuck, mm. what is this place? But yeah, like you just see people just roll through. It's all just black red bandanas, blue bandanas. Like just dudes fucking... And that, that's the shit. way it's been over there forever. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, fuck, 60s and 70s. I mean, it's been going on. Um, like, I guess we had, you know, that sort of era where we had the surfies and the skinheads and, you know, punks and what have you in Australia. But we've never, ever been at that level. Yeah. Um, and we're still not. But mentality, gang mentality is, is you know, getting stronger and stronger um, by the generation, I think. So when you you do that first 18 months and then you come out and then where do you go from there? Oh, fuck. Where did I go? Um, to a garage. Lived in a garage um, for six months, like a shit. Lived just the side of a, a house and then um, ended up moving on from that and just slipping back into the same sort of shit. Like, and it, did, it you just, have, did you have intentions when you come out to like, okay, that's it, I'm going to clean up my act or, or did you feel like that you didn't know anything else? No, like... I'll sit here and be honest now, definitely not. You know, my intentions was to come out and just find go bigger, another, and, bigger yeah. and better than I did before. Yeah. Um, and that was that was the whole way that it was, you know, like that was just your instant survival, right? I go back to doing what I do best and what I know. Um, yeah, and then, then obviously it leads to bigger and better things and more jail time. Yeah, so what's what did you get into then? Well, mainly it was a lot of d- drug distribution, that was the thing, um, you know, and I sort of ended up after about 12 months being under surveillance and, you know, I was being watched and sort of knew about it but didn't really care too much. Um, you know, we had safe houses set up and we had all these sort of ways of doing things that we didn't think that we could sort of come undone, which I must say worked in, in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, in the end, like I said, we got caught. Everyone does in the end, eh? Yeah, so the next one was, um, you know, distribution again and um, more assault charges and just basically... And so did the violence just come with the job? It escalated, yeah. It was all part and parcel. And I mean, you had to be able to hold your own to be able to do what what we were doing. Yeah. You know, if you couldn't, you just got robbed or stood over. And who were you getting into these, like when you get charged for assault and grievous bodily harm, like who are you getting into these confrontations with? Oh, just other people that you're fucking doing business with, other dealers, you know, like situations that, you know, um, might arouse over fucking money owed or, you know, just the, the whole lifestyle around... Is a violent situation. 100%. It was just all just full on yeah you know non-stop um and like i say you sort of had to keep keep your level of of notoriety up because otherwise you'd lose your position in the pecking line you know uh, you just go to the shit and so the bottom. and so in a way you sort of need to be known as like a violent guy or like yeah, that you'll handle absolutely. your shit you needed to be able to make that sort of name for yourself at, you know because that's the vibe with him. that's the vibe that I got off Abbo is that like he yep. would just do what it took yep. to keep himself as the guy that people knew yep. not to fuck with exactly yeah, and you can't that's exactly how it was and like there's no faking that right <laughs> no no exactly and I mean it's like Abbo um, you know He's the man that he is. There's no fucking bullshit. A punch is pulled. Um, 
you get to a point, I guess, where a lot of people bullshit their way through and there comes to a point where the fucking bullshit stops. Yeah, it has to stop and then you're you know, faced you, with, yeah. You, you got you to either back it or you're just fucking, you know, you're going to really soon enough know that, you know, people just aren't going to cop your shit. Yeah. You know, um, it's very, very quickly changes. And you went from when you said that when you were a kid, you sort of felt like a bit, you're a bit soft as a kid. When did it change to then when you were sort of prepared to like do that kind of shit? I truly believe from that time that I, you know, turned up the second time after I'd been stood over for my shoes and, you know, hit that Coke bottle, that glass Coke bottle on the ground and um, did what I did with it. For me, that was the turning point of... Really? Well, it sort of gave me a sense of they will not fuck with me again. I will not lose another pair of shoes, you know. Um, I won't get stood over again. And from there on in, yeah, it just just grew with me and inside me that you know i was gonna be this beast mm. and yeah that's fucking gnarly eh that you can pinpoint that moment of the kid it's like where you almost lose your innocence i think i think you gotta suit you know for me particularly in my life i've had to do a lot of uh, of um you know i guess self-care and, and acknowledgement and acceptance within myself yeah to do that you know to better me as a human today and come forward from everything that you know I'd done and been through was going back to the core of everything. Yeah, as far back as I could remember, bringing it all back up again, bringing it out, and just throwing it all away. Yeah. You know? Um, and not only that too. I mean, these days, you know, you, your mind's a lot clearer. Yeah. You're fucking healthier. The drugs aren't in my system. Yeah. You know, I'm not off my head. I'm, I'm, I'm a healthy man that has a clear mind and vision, so I can, you know, bring those thoughts back that probably were a lot clouded. Yeah, many years ago because you suppress so much shit, you know. When did the drugs you start, and what stuff oh, were you doing? Mate, look, speed was the thing back in the day initially. Um, you know, you drink and take speed, and the speed would keep you awake. So you just keep working. Well, you just yeah. And or did thing, you just need to like stay alert? I, I, that was for me. It was about being alert. Yeah. Okay. You know, because I, I could see that where it's like take some speed, and you're up. And no cunt's coming to fuck with you because yeah. really, when some cunt gonna come get you? That was exactly five o'clock in the morning, yep. three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you don't want to be tired as a fucking gangster. No, and I mean you, you were you were a street kid back then, you mm. know. Like uh, I wouldn't even sort of use that word gangster. It does, didn't exist. It was just a just a street kid, but it was a very volatile um, place Existence, to be. Yeah, oh, man, it was, it was some of the things that you know I'd seen over the years. You know, I was seeing death before I was even fifteen. In, in what capacity just were you people that? just fucking OD'd in the gutter people that have been bashed you know to basically bleed out like it it was full on you know King's Cross back in the days you know in the city and around Redfern and Glebe mate they were fucking hectic it was very dangerous so you sort of wanted to make sure that you you're in with people that knew people or you know were locals within that area mm. otherwise you know you're a chance ending up just like that person that you know you've seen before and did the the drug use sort of spiral to like a pretty bad point do you reckon or were you, were you like were you ever a drug addict at, at, yeah in a word yeah I, I would say that um, addict to the point where I mentally felt that I needed it I don't believe that I was a physically addicted um, addict if that makes mm, sense yeah yeah um it was sort of, more I guess, a part of your mentality. Yeah, I've always been able to be headstrong in that sense that I have never been totally dependent mm. on, on something like that. Um, 
Um, I don't know how to put it into words, but mentally I felt that I needed to have it, but I don't believe that my body back then was, I wasn't a, a, an act addicted yeah. as such, like yeah. a junkie, if you put it that way. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You were like a functioning drug yeah. addict. But I had a habit. Yeah. I had to have that, that, that high. And it was always just speed. Back then it was, you know, and like I was saying, then once the ecstasy sort of started coming out, I mean, I had a bad experience on the acid, so I sort of just fucking knocked it right on the head. Same with the pot. You know, I, I just couldn't afford to be paranoid. I couldn't. Yeah. And I couldn't afford to sort of drop my game. What did the acid do to you? <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I love um, hearing chicken stories. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I remember I had these double dip strawberries and we'd got them and someone said, I'll oh, just take half on. I was like, fuck that. You fuck know? Back in the day, camp. yeah, we used to go, we had a bottle shop where we could sneak in and sneak bottles of uh, cases of Jack Daniel cans, you know, and JD cans and so that was us, and we'd sneak in, we'd rob them of fucking, no one would even know, you know, this back room, and then we'd fuck off to the local park and get on the acid and sink pierce and run them up. Anyways, the boys were all cool. Well, I took this trip and had drunk too much. So what did you take, two? No, I just took one, but it was what they called a double dip. Okay. So I felt this trip coming on, and I just fucking started losing my mind. I, I remember it as clear as day, because I remember running around in circles. And I couldn't stop running around in circles, holding my head going, get me to hospital, get me to hospital, get me to hospital. <laughs> Every kind of thought I was being a fuckwit, you know? Yeah. Like, but I truly was starting to lose my shit. One of the boys' mum was an old hippie and she didn't live far. Like, they lived just up the road and he's going, fuck, you know, come, come, we'll get you to my mum. I'm like, just just get me to hospital, get me to hospital. And he wouldn't let me go to hospital, obviously, because, you know, they yeah. would have sort of been sussing where the drugs come from and all this sort yeah. of shit, who's involved. So we went to my mate's mum and she calmed me down and she made me drink two litres of fucking pure orange juice. Really? And I'll tell you now, bro, it brought me out of the trip. No shit. I swear by it. Don't don't take trips, but if you ever get stuck in a trip, drink, drink some, some pure orange juice. <laughs> Apparently the acid in the orange juice neutralises the acid in the trip and brings it back to a level that's a balance. Fuck. And it did. It did, yeah, so... But that was that was it for me. But you felt like you felt like you were losing your mind. Oh fuck! I was losing my mind, man. I was really ripping. If you put it, yeah. Well, were you getting like crazy visuals and shit? I as was well? just no, no. I never had. I never ever got to that point. That was the thing. I didn't. Well, I say I didn't. I probably did, but I don't think yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Have for me, it done? was just my head was cooking. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'd been laughing my ass off so much before, and my jaw was hot and tight. You know, I was just. Then I could just feel this fucking... Just super intense. Yeah. And it was just totally out of my depth. Yeah. And once you get to that point where you're like, start really worrying about shit... You then talk your shit yeah, into it. You talk hard, yourself eh? into, into a really bad state of mind. Yeah. You Have know, you ever like, done mushrooms? No. <laughs> yeah. See, <laughs> no. I feel like that's a bit more of a pleasant experience, like a more of a gentle and... Because like, even um, like we did mushrooms the other night and um, one of my buddies hadn't done them before and he's like... He said it, it's like doing really good ecstasy, but it feels like it's natural. Yeah, well, they reckon that it's fucking something they're going to start looking at to help with mental yeah. health issues. Oh, dude. Yeah, it's the fucking... The psychedelic side of it. Like, yeah. Even taking like, um, like say, half a gram. of So like two grams is considered a recreational dose. So you're going to start to get some visuals and shit like that. Um, but if you take half a gram of mushrooms, you're in a fucking great mood. There's so what no do you, when you say about like visuals, right? Now this has been my thing because I've never experienced the visuals and I've never yeah. never tripped to the point where it's like, man, fucking wow. 
What's the visuals? Like, oh, it's, it's I've fucking, heard some funny stories, but I reckon most people talk shit. Nah, nah, it's fucking, yeah, it's legit. Like, even, Is it? So Is I was texting, like, I was texting my missus, and um, so she was talking to me about some, like, serious shit, and I'm like, oi, Rick, I fucking can't, eh? Like, you, I have to not text you anymore. And I'm texting her, and it looked like I had one thumb that was just like... <laughs> the big thumb yeah like just and then like my screen was coming out at me and oh, it was funny so fuck. my uh my professor like my jiu-jitsu professor he changed my background of the phone to like me and him i just won like a gold medal and it was me and him and uh he's on my phone and he's coming out at me i'm like fucking get out of here can't like <laughs> but yeah it was it's, it's so it's, it's it is it does happen mm, yeah 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 fuck yeah dude and like wow. my mate that i was with like it's funny like he we were going like full serious, like deep and meaningful conversation. And then he just starts pissing himself laughing at me. Yeah. And I just remember like, cause that's when it really hit for him. And he was just like, Oh fuck. And, um, and I was already pretty, pretty gone. And, his face looked like well you know wallace and gromit the cartoon oh bullshit you know how the mouth is like real just start warping yeah. oh fuck man so like i've just got this image of and every time he laughs now i just fucking i just get this flashback of this wallace and gromit face and uh and then there was like a point where um he's got like this kind of slick back haircut and he actually is a german dude and i was just like cunt you're a fucking you're an ss Ooh, soldier right now like wow so but it's it's funny though because what what um my friend said about it's like ecstasy but it feels like natural so it's like you take say you take um it's like hard to explain but like you take like a a nat like a magnesium tablet or something as opposed to taking like a celebrex yeah you know what i mean yeah so it's like the celebrex is like a chemical that's made in a pharmaceutical plant there's something about it that it feels like you're taking a pill that is a in a, like a chemical form yeah whereas i think that you you know you take like magnesium supplement or something or like a herbal thing yeah then it's or even like cbd for instance it just feels natural fucking cbd is the best thing like uh, look if you haven't found a better way for your fucking like pain and suffering or your mental health do you feel like it helps you with the anxiety or like any some mental for stuff? sure for sure i look as i said i've never been a smoker because i can't handle that stone you know i yeah. don't like that fucking feeling I, I i was that i like to be in control of what's going on you know but being aware and alert as well as enjoying myself I never got that, you know, from weed. I wigged out. I was that guy that went green and fucking bleh, Everyone's laughing at me, you know, while they were getting the munchies. Yeah. Um, so it was something that I never wanted to try again. But after these last, um, say, six months, especially off the back injury, I, I didn't want to become dependent on pain relief yeah. pharmaceuticals. You know, and they had me on the oxys and I think for about the first, because I couldn't walk for nearly two months. So for the first probably three weeks, you know, I was, I was taking oxys and... I could feel within myself that I was changing, you know, like, and I said to my wife, yeah, shit's fucking bad, man. Fuck this. It's taken a lot of people down. I, I'm getting off this shit. Well, I know people personally that yeah. it, it grabbed good people that it just destroyed them for many years. They're good now, but it, it really affected them. So I I'd had that. just fucked their life, man. Yeah. They were these top athletes. They were Absolutely. killing millions of dollars yep. and now they're fucking junkies. Yep. And, and I know, yeah, exactly. And there's people I know, but you know, it's, I guess, then you realize that you could become that person oh, in so a, heartbeat. It, it, a lot of people don't grab a hold of it there and then and say fuck this i ain't gonna do this i'm going down that road 
people just go, well, it's 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 all good, it's all good, but it's not. Mm. And I was aware. And the of problem that. is, they feel so fucking good. So but it's it is. Like it's you, a great feeling. It's like you know, I don't know how you can describe. You talk about fucking the feeling of ecstasy. Well, you know, having an oxy is like just fucking feeling so chilled. Oh, it's amazing. You know, and it is it is a great feeling. But that's the point of the addiction is it yeah. feels so good. My thing was I didn't realize how quick it absorbed into your bones and your fucking body, and you all of a sudden had these withdrawals, man. Like, I thought within three weeks, I'd be sweet, just fucking... Mate, I was in the horrors, and I could only imagine how others that have been addicted to, you know, highly dependent drugs or pharmaceuticals for many years, what they now go through. Yeah. Long and short of it all, I, I pushed through it, and I, I'm so grateful, and I, I spoke... To, I went to Nimbin. I said to my wife, I'm going to Nimbin, I'm going to go try and find a better way, a natural way. So I went down to Nimbin, the old hemp embassy, and got the old Uncle Tom's, and... You know, I was having a couple of drops of oil a night and all of a sudden, like, he'd had THC in it. Fuck, I was so stoned, man. Like, four or five hours on the bus and there's no hit in the fucking butt that says stop. It's just hanging the fuck yeah. on. So I sort of thought, fuck, this is too much for me. It's not me, you know. So I got... It was by sheer chance I got speared into somebody who um, was able to um, obtain high-quality pure CBD. Yeah. And he gave me a bottle and he said... Just try it. If it works for you, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I think deep down, he knew that it, it would, would work. work. For and I kid you not, I, I went a week and a half without it in the last six months and I totally felt so much sort of aches and pains that I didn't have whilst taking the CBD. And it's, you know, there's no high, there's no stone. It's, it's, yeah, no. It, it doesn't exist. So for everybody out there that feels that you're going to get high, it's bullshit. I've given it to my mum and dad. No, fuck And they're mate. so anti-drugs, it's not even 100%. Funny. I mean, I know people now that I've helped and, and linked into, you know, CBD and they're forever grateful. Mm. And there's, like, I function. I've had my drops this morning, you know, half an eye drop right on the tongue. Fuck, I'm fine. Yeah. But uh, absolutely known a massive difference. My kids notice, you know, my kids obviously don't know what... You know, dad's taken us in CBD, but they noticed that I'm a lot calmer. Yeah, I'm I'm able to chill. I'm enjoying things. You know, I'm I'm a different sort of person to the highly strung, short sort of bipolar. Bipolar, yeah, like instant sort of. I couldn't sit here having this conversation for ages with you. Yeah, I'd be like in and yeah, be all cool. And I'd be like fucking tap tap. Got to get out of here. You if know? you had to guess, how long do you think we've been going for? I don't know, fucking forty five minutes now. Two hours and four minutes. Fuck me. Yeah. It's crazy, eh? Wow. But see, that just goes to show, you know, like, you can just chill and, and have a conversation. Yeah. And that's what it's all based around is just fucking just having a chat. I would I would like to... I'd like to get a different... Like, I might try to get some CBD where you get some from. Because yeah. I, I've got some and I don't... It, it definitely hasn't worked for me as... as crazy as i hear other people yeah but the smoking definitely does and i feel all the benefits of what people say they get from cbd from actual the thc yeah. as well um but the problem with the the thc um is that like the the people that are growing weed for people to get stoned they're basically trying to get the most amount of thc into that plant yeah, as right. possible and as little cbd so a lot of i think the where people say like oh, i fucking freak out it's because they're smoking super high thc concert that's right constant uh or concentration yeah, yeah and like not very much cbd yep and i i know that when i've got stoned and had cbd at the same time it takes away a lot of that 
I was actually reading something sort of the stuff. other day about that, that it actually, um, if you get too high, yeah, you take, take CBD, CBD yeah, and it fucking levels, brings yeah. you back. Yeah, but see, I don't, I, for whatever reason, I'm cool with just being like extremely fucking stoned. Like that, <laughs> I don't mind that ride <laughs> at all. Like, and I've, I've got other friends that they're like that as well. But I, it, it wasn't like that at the start though. Like it, it took like, I was telling my friend the other day because it's the same. And I, I'll never tell people, I'll never, I'll never tell people like, oh no no yeah it's fucking it's made it's not you know because it's not for everyone no but i just i think there is a bit of a misconception out there of um people think that they either can or can't but it for me like i remember that one of the first times i got like super stoned i was with my friends in in um the states and our our van broke down in vegas my buddy had a weed card he's a full stoner like he's stoned all day every day one of the best people i've ever met in my life one of the best photographers in the world as well and um it's amazing isn't it but the fact of um how people being stoned i'm not talking about high on you know all these other drugs as such i'm just talking about you know weed but being stoned on weed and it brings out their absolute best creativity or their, their most like i i know a lot of fighters that love just being stoned and training yeah because they're, they're onto it, you know? They're just... Everything's smooth and just super calm, super yeah. cool. Jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Heaps of fucking jiu-jitsu dudes smoke weed. Dude, me and my buddy... Go out and roll around, like... Yeah, me and my buddy, we, we smoked a joint together and we rolled for like an hour and 45 minutes straight. Fucking whole, had a bell hell time too. The whole man. mat was fucking <laughs> saturated with sweat. Like, we almost died of dehydration. <laughs> but it was like... It was awesome. You just... Yeah, you do get into that flow. But like yeah people there's definitely people that are like oh, I just can't smoke but like it's it's not like I don't think it's like drinking where it's like you drink and you can sort of feel your level and you can mod- like you need to you can't if you're sitting with a person that smokes weed and you've got a joint you can't smoke half that joint and go back and forward with that person that smokes regularly no. like you take you need to take anyone that is going to do weed you take one puff and then you just see how it goes for like 15 minutes because once you're on that fucking bus, yeah. you're on the bus you're and you off. don't get off until it stops. <laughs> so there's no, it's not like a, it's not a hero thing. It's not a, you just take one fucking puff and you see how you go and you just, you'll get to a point And then you, if you want to go a little bit deeper, it's like a fucking pool. You know what I mean? You don't just dive straight into the deep end nah, of the pool. No, when you, you got to test the waters. Yeah. You just dip a toe in yeah. and then, you know, you sort of slowly creep in. So I think that's like in my experience with people that have said like, oh, I can't smoke weed or fucking whatever. It's that they have just gone like super deep oh, and, then they, and you just don't know how to navigate and, and, and that it does. headspace. It fucks with your head because you never want to yeah, go back does. there again. So you just like for me personally, I just don't smoke Yeah, like that. You know what I mean? Like oh, I'm, well, especially I'll have like, a toke of a vape that's got, you know, pure oil in it. It's a different high. You're not high as in so ripped. You fucking just don't know what's going on. Well, you know? it's just you're able to. You can moderate it so it's much. It's control, but I, I mean, it's it's more therapeutical. You know, it's yeah. it's beneficial to relax your body. You know, like, um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. But well, that's like Ryan Gambin. Life's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like Ryan Gambin. He come. I know on Ryan. The, you know, know Ryan? Ryan. Well, nah, no, him and his sister and his family a long time. Oh well, like he he come on and he talked about. It's literally like a part of his health routine. Like yep. he doesn't look at it as like he's doing drugs. No. It's like his nightly health routine. It's yep. like he has his protein shake, he has his magnesium, he has his hit of his pen, yep. and then he goes to bed and he wakes up the and then he an goes an athlete like a, a machine. And he done the research. Absolutely. He's not putting that dude is a 
fucking beast. He's, he's not putting anything in his body that he hasn't got down to the milligram and measured and knows exactly what it's going to do. Have you uh, noticed his Instagram in the last couple of days? His what? His Instagram in the last couple of days. Yeah, what are you saying about it? Oh, have you seen how he just walks out of the water with his fucking shirt off? Oh, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. He's obviously got someone filming it and he's just like... Well, he's got the... Oh. I think he's got that houseboat going now. <laughs> Something's going down. Yeah, fucking... <laughs> shout out to Ryan. I'm pocket. like, righto, bro. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing the damn thing. What's that, what's that guy that just made that movie, the Hawaiian guy, the fucking beast? Oh, was it Who's Aquaman? That? You know how he comes out oh, of the water? Jason and Momoa. The only difference is their, their hair and tattoos, but fuck, you know, he's just like straight out of the water. Yeah, Gambo. He's a, <laughs> he's a fucking legend, though. Good guy. Good guy. Uh, but um, yeah, it's it's definitely the the CBD thing's definitely starting to change like you're seeing so many athletes in the yeah. US. I think the um, I think that the uh, one of the basketball college conferences um cbd md they're like a medical sort of cbd firm in the okay. us yeah 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 i've they've, seen their advertisement yep. yeah they've actually they're now a sponsor of the basketball series so it's well, like, that just puts it in perspective it does, doesn't eh? it? Like yeah. it really does you know like why would you have something to degrade such a a high-end sport um that's going to bring you know um, bad vibes or negativity, you know, by sponsoring. Exactly. The um, research has been done you know, now. You, you really got to look at it and say, well, if, if that's where it's at on a professional level, yeah, um, yeah it speaks for itself. Look, as I said, um, for me personally, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that, you know, I've been able to uh, find something that works for me that I know has changed my life Yeah. Um, for the better. I'll have to. Um, I'll try some of the stuff that you've got then. And yeah, see, I'm happy to happy to let you know who it is. Yeah, I'm definitely out. I, I'm. I'm. Uh, I just haven't had like the crazy benefits of it. Yeah. Yet, but I'd I'd like to still sort of keep keep figuring it out because it, it is a lot of that trial and error. You know, it's like anything in life. Yeah, you've got to really just got, sort just of figure gotta, it out. Yeah, you just got to work it out what works for you. You know, um, for me, I just look. I needed at my age something to help me through the injury. Yeah. Something to calm my mind because. You know, like I said, I, I'm, I'm pretty highly strung when it comes to needing to do something. I've got to be busy. You know, I've got to be doing something active that's going to exert myself or have a challenge or have a goal. Um, you know, it's just it's just who I am. It's um, I one of the big things that I've noticed with your um, I, with what you do is that you seem to have put a big part uh with physical activity yep. as a treatment for your bipolar exactly is that because man like that's the only thing that initially gave me um a, a, a space to breathe you know what i mean like oh mate i'm 100 percent. i, um, I literally need to exercise or you know be active daily so you know for every hour of high intensity activity gives us 12 hours of positive chemical release within the brain why wouldn't you fucking do it for an hour of your day mm. to know that you're going to feel great? I mean, we talked about in the beginning the positivity about different posts and stuff like this. Life ain't they're fucking perfect. They're always when you're outside too. Yeah. And they're and, always and, when you know, you're out doing something. It's, it's when my mind and I feel good and I feel that somebody else can benefit from what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling. Um, you know, like I've said before, if I connect with one person and change their, their way of thinking on that day, then that's, that's a win. You know, like... If you can reach out to that one person in their darkest hour and their time of need and change their train of thought from that moment of feeling, no one gives a fuck, I'm out, it's done, I'm out of here. And instantly by just them looking at that moment, you might be just a fucking clown. 
but it could change someone's day because they might just think, what a fucking idiot. Boom. One minute they're thinking about taking their life, next minute they're laughing at your stupidity or your positivity, mm. you know, and they're taking something out of it. And then all of a sudden, that train of thought goes to a totally different direction. Yeah. And they're still here. You know, and it might be enough sort of for them to go, hey, I need to go speak to someone. You know, or just give them a different perspective of where they're at. Um, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. You know, oh, for totally no agree. other reason. I couldn't give a fuck what people think. And, and, and I do. I make a fuck with it myself sometimes. And I actually quite like it because, as I say, it helps to make somebody else's day a better day. Yeah. What um, what was your experience with suicide? I, um, is it something yeah, you're, is it funny something about you're it? Like, it's always very, look, I'm talking about it only because I'm hoping that once again it'll help somebody well, else through look, their man, experience. Well, I've got someone that, um, well, a friend of mine that, well, it's actually one of my girlfriend's friends. Her brother just tried to kill herself, kill himself the other day. Uh, obviously, what Sonny's going through. And then you've got, um, I just had a friend fly down for a funeral for a 28 year old guy. Um, these are all young yeah, men. It's very common. You know, it's like, and it, yeah, I, I, you obviously don't have to talk about it if, if you don't Look, want I, to. All, but all I can all I can say is this: um, I, I'm here for for a reason. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, um, three attempts in my younger years, right up till you know my early twenties. The last one were all very serious, and how the fuck I didn't follow through, or how I, I didn't complete what I set out to do at that moment in my life, I, I can't answer. But I'm here. Um, and that was part of my healing as well because I felt that I could actually go back and look at that and say, well, you didn't die. Mm. You know, and one of them in particular was an absolute extreme. And, and we sort of don't go into the hows and the whys because I would hate to trigger somebody else at this present moment mm. that may be listening to this. So, you know, with due respect to suicidality, um, I'll just say that, yeah, they were very, very full-on moments that you know would end your life instantly mm. um what sort of headspace were you in for that fuck mate dark dark nothing mattered like you're numb you don't see any out there's no light it's just dark a tunnel of just fucking numbness you, you know people say oh you know yeah but what about this what about that you don't think of that at the time it's not something that's in you in you or on your mind it's just you're hurting your pain you, you're you're just i it's numbing, it's dark, and you're just looking for a release. You know, and it just gets to the point where you become so engulfed in what's going on that you lose that mindset of, I can get help. Yeah. You lose that that that, that strength to be able to just get up, go somewhere, walk away from it, you know? You just... It, it doesn't happen. Yeah, it's pretty fucked. And... When you obviously you lived through those attempts, when you come on the other side of that, it what's the feeling of being alive after you've thought that you were going to be gone? Let me put it to you this way: it'll never leave you. Um, you know, it it's never, just like it, a trauma. It is. It never leaves you. The scariest part about it is this: is that you go against everything that you you, you know in living to not do you know by by attempting or taking um your life and the biggest thing is not going back there so it's like anything you know like you hit a a 50 foot 60 foot jump you know what i mean you land it 
you fucking do the next side. Mm. You hit the 70, you hit the, whatever it is, it just keeps growing, increasing. Where do you go once you attempt that? Mm. You lose that fear factor. You lose that, no, I don't, I can't and I won't because you've been there and you know that you can. You know, like it... Like if you, is it almost like it's scarring to have, it's like if I've tried it once, I could try it again. Well, you don't fear it. Yeah. It's as simple as that. You don't fear it. What's there to fear? You know, like you, you get to that point where you know that you could push yourself to the end. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's somewhere I never want to go again. I'll do everything in my power to not let myself go down that road again. Do you feel like, did you feel like you had your control and you just let yourself go down that path? Uh, you got no control once you get to a certain point. Your mind just, it, yeah, you, your body and your mind just, you lose you lose who you are. Yeah. You're numbed. You just, there's no emotion. There's nothing. And then, so on that, you said that last time and then you wake up, do you have like a conscious decision to say from right away? Like, do you have like a moment of clarity of like, okay, I'm never going there again. I'm no. never going to do that. No. Or do no, you just slowly no, get it better? Just, yeah. You, it's a, it's a long time. It's a healing process. It's, um, you know, you've got to start the structure things in place start to you know have a support network um, educate yourself and um, did so did you go was that like your last time out of prison or did you go back into prison after that or so sort of like what happened in your life yeah after so that I, last I did time? go back into prison I got six years for commercial drug importation um, my partner and I had a three-month-old daughter I had my son to an ex-partner uh, she was four months pregnant and oh, your partner you're with now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's and awesome um, that she stuck through that. Yeah, so um, two days ago was the ninth year anniversary of um, that occurring and, and me um, being completely free of that for the last three years. So yeah, um, it's for us, it's a, it's a memory that will never go. You know, it's, um, it's something that changed our life. Um, it's, it's helped me to be here now. It's helped me for us to have this conversation. But... Fuck, man, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty heavy time. Do you think that going back for those six years, like, helped you heal? Like, did that give you Absolutely. time? Absolutely. I don't think I'd be here um, alive had I not. I So you think you needed to go back to prison? Absolutely. Everything happened for a reason. I had a really bad coke habit, you know, like I was, I was crazy. I was driving around, loaded up with guns. I was, I was doing some really fucked up shit, you know. I needed to be pulled up. Yeah. Um, either I was going to die or I could have hurt somebody else, you know. So it was a matter of time. The time came and, um, yeah, basically I, I – the way it happened, I, I knew that it was going to happen. Something had happened. What's that, The that you're getting incarcerated again? Oh, sorry, I just got to move. Move and shuffle. Right. Yeah. Um, like I knew with the importation that there was something off about it. Um, the consignment company had accidentally contacted me on the Friday telling me that Customs had pulled the shipping container back. So I knew there was something off and, and I still went down there. you can't bail out of well, it Well, I point? chose not to and, um, you know, I, I got caught. So I got caught. That's it. End of story. There was nobody else charged as such with me. So, you know, it, it was what it was. But I, I felt that... I remember going and seeing a close mate of mine and saying to him, look after my family. He's like, what the fuck, mate? You're off the head. Like, get your shit together. I said, mate, just listen to me. I'm not going to be here for a long time. And he's like, Simo, 
you're being a fuckwit. Like, yeah, just chill. Stop, chill out, mate. I said, look, I just come to tell you, I love you, bro, and please just look out for Sons and the kids. I left. And I got on a plane and I went to Sydney and I was under surveillance from the time I left the Gold Coast to the time I'd fucking got into the shipping container that night and the full fucking squad just jumped out of nowhere. I've never seen anything like it. So did you, so you knew you were going to I was gone. I knew busted. I was gone. I knew I was gone. So like why'd a, you go? Because I just felt that I had to for closure. I needed, I needed to, you know, I needed a change in my life. And at the same time too, I knew that if, you know, if I hadn't gone there, it could have opened up Pandora's box on a bigger scale, and oh, just so many other, yeah. so many other variables. I, in a way, felt that it just is what had to happen. Yeah. And on the other side of it, me personally, I was sort of like relieved. Like I need to go to jail and fucking. Fix I was my relieved, shit. mate. Like I was fucking. It was. It was. It's crazy life. Was <laughs> it like a way out then? Was that almost like you're you're searching for a way out of that life? Yeah. And that was. Yeah. That was it. My opportunity was to go to jail and do the time. Yeah, and then you know, come out and, and well, clean slate. Make yourself a better person from it. You know, I had to get my mental health in order. Um, I needed to find purpose, um, and I needed to, you know, become a better man, to become a better father, a better human, a better fucking person all the way around. You know, I'd never dealt with, you know, my sexual abuse, um, so much trauma that I had suppressed. Have you spoken much no. about that? Oh, heaps. You know, publicly I've been okay. Like, my story's out there now. You know, I've stood in front of fucking thousands of people over the last, you know, few years. It's been nationally documented through, you know, documentaries through SBS. and. Was that part of the healing process? Yeah. Like, talking about definitely. it? Definitely. Yeah, so and what, I'm not ashamed what, of it either. What happened? You know, like, in what way? Like, what, what was the abuse? Oh, I'm not going to go into that. That's that's something I'll, I... It's still... Yeah, so you don't talk about that side fuck of it? Fuck no. Yeah, no, okay. No, yeah. no, no. No, that, no, that's... That's something I'll never. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah it, makes like sense. It, it rattles me. Yeah, yeah. But um, speaking about it happening, the fact that I'm it okay happens, with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, yeah, fuck, it gets gnarly. If you want to go into detail, it's just yeah, something that I. Oh, I don't need to go into any more. No, no, but like you, a, yeah. as a man, you know, like it's um, yeah, because I, I, I spoke I to fucking, yeah, no, fuck, <laughs> man, it's no, rattles me a bit, but um. It's no joke. I'm, a, I'm okay being that guy that actually puts his hand up and say, you know, like, I'm I'm here and I've gone through it. And if there's somebody else that's fucking struggling, that you know, needs to speak up and speak up because it's a fucking dog act. Yeah, and I imagine you're a that, scumbag, man, if you're molesting children, and especially um, the trauma that it then leaves. Because I can imagine if it was like, a, especially a, a man to have like a male that goes through to do that, that then can make you question so much of your own, like. I have Worth a real. A I'm only in, in probably in the last five years. I've been comfortable cuddling and holding my children. Yeah, see, that's like fucked. physically, actually, you know, snuggling in and, and giving my my boys a kiss. You know, like not for any other reason. Just I, I, I just you feel fucked felt about it. Fucked yeah, yeah. Shit, my oldest son really felt that. You know, that disconnection of affection because I just couldn't. But I, it makes so much sense, man. Yeah. Like yeah. that makes per like that makes perfect sense that you would be very fucked up over that yeah. because at what point you know in your mind is that you know well obviously bringing back memories but then you're like where's the fucking line to you that someone that has been on the most extreme end yeah. of that situation you know I am um, now the hardest thing for me was I remember reaching out and trying to tell my father at the time that this abuse was occurring and. You know, as I told him, he looked at me, you know, he was he was sort of drunk and pissed off that I would even say this about the neighbours, you know, and just backhanded me straight off the fucking veranda. 
and that's yeah that's that's as far as it got you know and, it, and it then went you just on had to internalize so it you know? yeah 100 percent, which makes you you know become angry and, and you build up hatred um my first couple of times in jail i used to sit there praying to god that these two perpetrators would come into jail because i had every intentions of killing them yeah I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad that those actions never took place. But my mindset and fuck, was, bro. Like, is that is I that prayed not a, and prayed that these would walk past my path? And is that not justified? Like, I can't sit oh, here and say look, that I would be any different than absolutely. that. Absolutely. I like, mean, for me to heal as a human and for me to be able to move forward and be a better father and and, and a man, um, I've had to let go of that anger, you know, and not not feel like a victim. Mm. Um. And look, someone said to me the other day, we're talking about this with the young blokes, and one of the young blokes just straight out said, so Simo, if they walked around this corner right now, how would you react? Yeah, fuck. Fuck, mate, what a cool call, because, you know, that's a fair, fair question. I can't say I wouldn't react. Yeah. But I don't put myself in positions or places where I would ever think that that we'd ever cross paths. So for me, that's okay to live with that. Um, if I was to ever go back within a certain area or knowledgeable place of where I knew that them or their family had lived. Yeah. And while well, I'm a bit of a fuckwit for going back there and wasting all the good years that I've put into bettering myself. Yeah. To so go then put yourself in that back. position, yeah. yeah. So I think it's part of moving forward and healing. It's such a... Um, that's such a big fucking call to even say that you can heal from something like you that. You have though. to. You have to. You know, like I have to be a better human. I have to let it go. I'll never forget it. Never forgive. But I'm okay with talking about it right right now. Allows me to be able to move forward from it. Every time the conversations had gives me more strength. Yeah. You know what I mean? I become a stronger man because I've been able to let it out. Well, I mean, I think it's powerful to no, that it's, you've it's, even consider and say it. You know, and I think that. Man, it's fucking conversations like this that I, I just can't, like, even I know from the messages I get, the feedback I get, like, this stuff impacts people so much. Like, this hearing about things, like, you just don't know what people are going through. If I saw you walking down the street getting a coffee at Burley, I would not think he's in a victim not of sexual abuse. Years. But you are. And it's like, you don't know all of these fucking people that you cross paths with every day. Everyone that's sitting next to you at the traffic lights. Fuck, sit on a bus. Out of all those people on a bus. How many people in that bus are right there suffering because of fucking sexual abuse or their mental health? Yeah. You just, you don't know, you know? And I think that's why as humans, we've got to fucking realize that, you know, smile. Yeah. Say g'day. And I think that the- Ask someone, how you going? And I think conversations like this can give context that like it can be the big burly fucking looking dude that's got the tattoos and, you know, was in the bikey gangs and all that shit. Like it can be that guy that has these issues. Like it it makes people feel because I think some of the things that what I've taken out of doing the podcast and when these conversations have come up and then I get feedback is that people think that they're alone in struggling. And they uh, think that they're, hmm. they think that they're weak for feeling what they're doing, and they think that they're just these average fucking joes, and this is why it's happening to them. And it's because their life's not great. It's because they don't. They're not the fucking Robbie Madison's jumping yeah. over the fucking bridge. They're not the ex bikey 
fucking dude that has had that craziest life yeah it's like no nah, it doesn't happen to them it happens to the people like me it fucking does happen to them happens it happens to, to everyone. everybody yep. everybody will struggle with this at some point like you're not alone i love that word you're not alone so that was the motto of the charity that i started you're not alone 100 percent. that that's that's the one most powerful um sentence you know you're not alone Mm-mm. simple as that and you know i only started to understand that when i was able to talk about it mm. um you know and, and i sort of thought to myself in the big picture of things was if someone like me that could have walked the path that i've walked being the man that i was I actually sit there and not be scared to speak about my own personal journey then surely it's got to help somebody else to realize that they're not alone mm. move forward yeah and and that's exactly what it is and i think that as soon as you give it's like you're almost giving people like a license to speak about it in a way well you are i mean look like i said earlier you know i'm not one to sit here and fucking commend anybody that tells on anybody for anything but fucking stand up if you're being abused or sexually abused and you know mate you've got every right to speak up Mm. and know that there's people out there that have, have gone through it that didn't have the opportunity to have the support that's there today yeah um you know find that strength it, how like have you seen a pretty massive change in i guess fuck i don't want to call it like an industry but there almost is like an industry of people that are trying to help and you know like we said like the suicide rate amongst, stand up for a sec my back's oh, yeah. fucking wigging oh dude those <laughs> chairs are fucked sorry bro. that's all right i can still <laughs> <laughs> just go back on the squeaky chair for a minute <laughs> that was so much comfier <laughs> oh yeah sorry dude what time are we at? Um, two hours and thirty. We can wrap it up soon if you've what, got to what's, go. What's the actual time? Uh, twelve forty-eight. Oh fuck! Can you got to go. No, just cut it for two seconds. Can we? Um, yeah, just do whatever. I'll just. Yeah, no, you're good. You got to be somewhere. I was at twelve quarter to one. Oh well, what time is it? Twelve forty-eight. We can just we can wrap it up now if you want. We've definitely. Um, I've st- I've just still got to let him know. Oh yeah yeah yeah. No, nah, all good. Be sitting there waiting for me to fucking. Nah, it's all sweet. Nah, it's all good. Well, we can just we can wrap it up. I'll get you back on whenever you want, man. Yeah, it's sweet. Um, all right. Well, I think uh, you've got somewhere to be now. We've gone for two <laughs> hour, two and a half hours. We've fucking knocked knocked it out. So, um, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, no, I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to now. Yeah, following you into the future. I only, like I said, I sort of only just got turned on to you and your story. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to now have a friendship and um, sort of move move forward and like see what you are able to achieve in these coming years um, and everything that you've achieved with the, you know, the life that you sort of lived and grew up in and all the things you've overcome. I'm excited to see um, what can come out of such a sort of a gnarly existence and the, the good that you can do in the world for sure um i'm really honored as i said to be here and to you know be a part of the gypsy tales podcast because at the end of the day you know um you run a great podcast that it's really valuable to a lot of people and you know the people that you have on here are, are very valued people what they offer and what they bring and i just hope that this podcast gives somebody you know some value from um sharing my life story and i mean i'm i, I never came here to to talk talk up be big be anything no, else. No. if anything um i'm here to just show that you can be humble yeah. and that life's good and you know 
um, you're not alone. <laughs> no, I really appreciate it, mate. Well, um, Legend. Yeah. Thanks, thank you so thanks much. Thanks so much. Sorry for cooking your back with that shitty chair. Oh, good, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll do it again, man. We'll, uh, new studio will be up and running. So yeah, let's do it. Maybe next time you got some fucking crazy idea. Let's get can, really stoned and do it. <laughs> yeah, whatever you want, bro. I'm down. <laughs> Righto, man. Thank you very much. Cheers, fella. Appreciate it. <laughs> this episode is brought to you in part by Purina. Purina is dedicated to creating richer lives for pets and the people who love them. From helping older pets think like their younger selves to making cat ownership a possibility for more people than ever, Purina is helping pets thrive so they can live long, healthy, and happy lives. Purina has you covered for all your furry friends' needs, whether they meow or bark. From litter to treats to their best-in-class, nutrient-packed food with taste your pets will love, Purina's got your back at every stage of your pet's life. Your pet gives you the joy of the spring sunshine all year round. So today and every day, care for your pet with Purina. Your pet is Purina's passion. To learn more, head to Amazon.com backslash Purina.